בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוך השם, always great to be here, מיאמי, ובעזרת השם, הוא גנב בשיעור תורה, answer some questions, ובעזרת השם, with your merits, בעזרת השם, have some חידושים, had a חידוש earlier today, that the way I felt, After I had this chidush, it definitely has to do with your merit. Because me, I'm working very hard. But you guys have some merit because I get chidushim only when I see you guys. I don't get chidushim the rest of the week like this. I see you guys have chidushim. So I had a chidush today. It was mamash worth it to come to the world just for this chidush. And then it doesn't make a difference what happens. That's how good the chidush is. Because you understand the purpose of everything. What's this chidush? So Bezat Hashem will understand the chidush. We'll get to it. Bezat Hashem. So... Uh, of course, we'll do Refua Shlema to Ovadia Ben Levana, Sarah Bat Levana, Mikael Koto, Ampar Balufe, Ruven Joseph Ben Rivka, Sarah Lea Bat Sarah, Gladys Nunez, Idilma Guerrero, Bat Pastora, Rubiela Guerrero Bat Pastora, Josefina Matos, Milica Norato, Suarez, Uh, but Miriam Suarez, um, Rachel and Monty Sandler, Luardes Rensoli, Yerushua Michael Ben Hadassa, Patricia Valmana, Michelle Valmana, Sonia Suarez, uh, Nicole Valmana, Augustine Hernandez, Jorge Hernandez, Isabel Betacourt, Liliana Antibonilla, Gilberto Meneses, Jacqueline Rojas, Idaya Garcia, Pablo Lorenzo, Miriam Batsara, Uh, Jocelyn Morijon, Ada Vasquez, Anit Vasquez, Suncha Vasquez, Sarah Gutierrez, Diego Hernandez, uh, Pablo Lorenzo, Miriam Batsara, Dura Bat Mercedes, Dvora Bat Mercedes, if there's a Dura, she could also have a uh, Judah Ben uh, Debra, Uh, Miriam Bat Mazal, Rose, Rose, Rose Lor Bat Noa, Elisheva Chaya Bat Sara, um, David Ben Nesria, uh, Doris Bat Joa, and Bezat Hashem, all of Am Israel will have Refuah Shlema, Refuah Nefesh, Refuah Aguf. Uh, yeah, today, and prepare today. So, today we are up to number 74 in the Musar Pirkei Avot series. It's a very, very interesting uh, Mishnah. Uh, it's really the question of all questions, which is, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? That's the Mishnah today. In essence, the question that Moshe Rabbeinu asked, did he get an answer? Did he get an answer? And uh, of course, we have Parashat Vayera. Uh, we continue learning about Avram Avinu. And uh, this week, we already learned yesterday that um, about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, both in the Parashat, as well in the world, in the world news, 
how Sodom and Gomorrah continues to unfortunately grow in the world today. You have Hollywood's so-called stars uh, disclosing the horrors that are actually happening behind the scenes. And um, it's really getting to a point where it's just disgusting. It's just disgusting. It's just a disgusting world. Uh, People... I guess they don't even know the story of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, as soon as they made their sin, they got they ate from the uh, tree of knowledge, and immediately the Torah says they realized they were naked, and they were ashamed. As soon as they had knowledge, they got shame. Apparently, this generation lost the shame somewhere, because people have no shame. They have no shame when they get dressed. They have no shame the way they behave. They have no shame with the way they conduct their business. Uh, I uh, actually had a conversation with my Rav uh, just um, the other day about this. And uh, it's mamash very hard for me to remember any vendor, any vendor, any lawyer, any contractor, anyone I've ever done business with that I could say, you know what? That's a guy I'll recommend. That's an honest person. That's someone I would do business with again. And I, you know, I'm, I've done business with many, many people in my life. And I'm not just talking about my past life. When I'm, I'm talking about right now, still now, still right this second, still people now. It's it's impossible to honestly recommend someone to anyone if you like the person that you're you're you know that you want you want you like somebody you want to help them out, right? If you like somebody, you can't recommend anybody to him. Why? Because it's almost impossible to find anyone that conducts business honestly. It's only a matter of time before they do something wrong. It's only a matter of time. They steal. They do this. They overcharge. Mamash, it's impossible. Very hard. Very hard. So, it's a... Uh, if I'm recommending you... If I'm recommending anyone to anybody, you know this guy? Honest. Like Fidel, I recommend. <laughs> Why I recommend Fidel? Fidel is honest. What does he do though? Fidel is in real estate. He's honest. Not because he's next to me. I recommend anyway. He's an honest person. But other people you deal with all the time, accountants, lawyers, this, that, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's very difficult. So... The Sodom and Gomorrah we learned about in the parasha continues, continues to grow today, unfortunately. Um, and uh, the Yetzirah continues to win, continues collecting more and more souls. But we've always asked the question, all of us have asked the question, why is it that the wicked people, the people that go against the Shem, why is it that they prosper? Why does Hashem let them live, Bichla? Why just kill all of them and that's it, finish it. Make it Gan Eden again. Or at the very least, why is, he, why is he allowing them to drive Ferraris and Bentleys on Shabbat, nonetheless? Give them a flat tire at the least. Blow up their engine. Get them towed. Get them, uh, whatever, a parking ticket that never goes away. I don't know. Whatever, do something. How come he lets them go? And on the other hand, why do people that are actually righteous, trying to do the, the right thing, they're trying to follow the Torah, sometimes you see them suffer. 
health issues, and all types of other problems. Hashem Yachem. It's a big question. So Bezat Hashem, this is going to be one of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, along with the parasha, along with some questions you have as well. But before I continue, I don't want to forget, because this is a very, very special uh, thing. I, uh, a dear friend of mine, Rabbi Daniel Hersko from California, just came out with a uh, series of CDs. Now, he does lectures. He has a series already going on for some time. Uh, short lectures that range uh, usually about a half hour or so each, something like that, sometimes a little longer, but sometimes a lot less. But he has, I don't know, I think this series is going on for maybe over 150 lectures so far uh, about Lashon Hara. But not just uh, opinion about Lashon Hara. Hey, you shouldn't do it, guys, 150 times. Rabbi Dani goes into the depths of Lashon Hara on the Chafetz Chaim, and he goes detail after detail what it actually says. I haven't, I haven't listened or watched all of the lectures, but a few that I heard, he says, Mamash the Emet. And uh, he did a few lectures, maybe uh, six lectures, about Lashon Ara, about rabbis. When people say Lashon Ara, about rabbis, hey, I don't like this rabbi, hey, this rabbi's a jerk, hey, this rabbi talks too much, hey, this rabbi looks funny, whatever. People say all types of things about rabbis. People make comments on the internet about rabbis. Yesterday, you know, I always uh, like to uh, uh, look at the comments after the shiurs on live or on YouTube. I look at the comments. I don't always reply. Most of the time I don't reply. There's too many comments. I can't reply to all of them. But uh, I like to look at the comments, what people say. Also, I like to see who's watching. So people say, uh, hi from Malaysia. Oh, Hashem, somebody in Malaysia is watching. It's unbelievable. Somebody in Malaysia is learning Torah with us. Hi from Tahiti, hi from Buenos Aires, uh, hi from Texas, hi from Cal- all different places around the world. People are much watching Shuret Torah and uh, they make some nice comments. And uh, But once in a while you got this menuval that has to go in there. There's always a menuval. There's always someone that's despicable. There's always someone that's despicable that has to ruin the party. Sometimes they bring their idol worship. Say, oh... J.C. Penny, go worship him. So some people respond to them. Yeah, if we worship him, we go to Gainom. Why do we want to do it? Go away. So sometimes they try to missionize in a group. And uh, I always tell people, don't reply to these people. They feed off of your reply. If you don't reply, they go away. It's like a fly. It goes away eventually. Go away. But if you respond to them, you're telling them some action over here. And their whole goal is being Amalek. What's the, what's the goal of Amalek? What's the goal of Amalek? Amalek's goal is to cool you down. That's his goal. Amalek's goal is not to kill you physically. Amalek's goal is to kill you spiritually, to cool you down, make you have questions. Make sure that you're not paying attention to the answers. Make sure that you're not doing tshuva. So if you're answering these idiots that are talking about Abu Zarah, all types of other nonsense. You're not listening to the Shi'u Torah. You're not listening to the Shi'u Torah. What are you doing online then? You might as well go read a book. So don't answer these people ever. If you're ever online watching the Shi'urim, don't answer anybody. In general, don't talk on the, on the comments. You want to say hi, say hi. That, you know, I know that you watched. But in general, don't, uh, don't uh, do, be in a discussion 
on the thing because it defeats the whole point of you watching the lecture. You're not going to listen to the lecture at the end. The whole point is the lecture, not talking to people. You want to teach, go do a shiur of your own. Some people go on there and they come to teach. Oh, you know, I heard this, da, 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 and then somebody else ends them. Oh, yeah, but I heard something else. Oh, you, you realize you're, you're disturbing 3,000 people right now with your comment. Ding, 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 every two seconds. Not everybody knows how to disable it. Not everybody else is uh, young and smart like you. Everybody knows how to disable it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to disable comments. So the thing is, though, is that people make stupid comments, and sometimes they make comments that is most surprising, but not surprising. What's surprising or not surprising? They're actually religious Jews, and they don't like to hear the truth. So yesterday, for example... This so-called religious Jew makes a comment. I was talking about modesty in last night's shiur. And uh, I was explaining to women how this, the skirts have to be long and so on and so forth. And this person, probably a woman, uh, did not like it. And she says, uh, you should be ashamed of yourself. The, the length of a woman's skirt is none of your business. So why are we, if, if, not, if it's none of my business, why are we learning to then? Nothing is my business. Nothing is your business. Nothing is anybody's business. Go to, back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Do whatever you want. Why are you a religious Jew then? You tell people what the halacha is. You tell people what the truth is. And they don't like to hear it sometimes. So people make these types of comments. Now why do I mention this? Why is this whole intro for? Is that the problem with making such a comment is that for me, I don't really care. I laugh at it. It's funny to me. I think it's very sad that people think that their comment against me is actually going to, they actually think it's going to change my mind or I'm going to stop talking about it or anything. It doesn't change anything for me. The problem is not me. The problem is with Hashem. Why is the problem with Hashem? Because when you make a comment publicly against a rabbi that could easily discourage another person from watching him, you now took that person's soul and it's in your hands. That rabbi could have easily helped that person do tshuva. He had the right words. Hashem gave him the right words to say that that specific person is going to say, ah, you know what? I'm going to do tshuva. Oh, Shabbat, I never knew it's that serious. I'm going to start keeping it. Oh, Lashonara, I never knew it's that serious. I'm going to stop talking so much. Oh, da, da, da. I didn't know that Hashem wanted me to be honest with my business, even if it's with this. People don't know. So sometimes there's a specific speaker that's going to say what you need to hear. Now, if that speaker logged on and he saw that's the first comment he saw, that someone made a negative comment about the rabbi, it's like, ah, who wants to be a part of this? People don't like this guy. So he turns it off. What is he? he turns on, uh, I don't know, a show about ducks being rescued from the highway. Instead, he doesn't do tshuva. Whose fault is it? It's not the rabbi's fault. Whose fault is it? It's the imbecile that made the comment thinking that they're going to change something. Only thing they changed is they changed their Gan Eden into a Genom. That's the only thing they changed. A person can lose their Olam Abba in a second. One second, they can lose their Olam Abba. The people that went against David Amelech that we talked about last time I was here, they were heads of the Sanhedrin. They weren't just regular people... Sometimes keep Shabbat, sometimes not. Maybe go to the casino a few times a year. No! These were head Rabbanim. These were G'dolei Adol. G'dolei Adol lost their Olam Abba. Why? 
לשון הרע, לשון הרע, the Rambam in Mishneh Torah, he says, someone that says, לשון הרע once in a while, has a deen, it's a very horrible, horrible sin. Of course we're not talking, this is what he says, it's his language. Of course we're not talking about someone that talks Lashon Ara on a regular basis because him, there's nothing to speak of. He has no Olam Aba. Someone that speaks Lashon Ara once in a while could potentially lose his Olam Aba. Depends how great, how horrible it is. Someone that speaks it regularly has no chance. No chance. Hey, how are you? Oh, did you see what she was wearing? Oh, did you see how much money he made? Hey, did you see how much he did this? Allah Abba is gone. You keep Shabbat, Tfilin, Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi, Arizal, three Tfilin you have in your head. You keep Shabbat every day. Seven days a week you have Shabbat. It's not going to help you. Say Lashon Araba, people are destroying the Shemot. Someone said this story in the name of Socrates. I always uh, doubt the... Uh, name dropping that people have. But let's say it's his name. Say somebody came to him and said, hey, I have a uh, story to tell you about your friend. He said, wait, before you tell me the story, I want to ask you a few questions. Sure. Is it true? Is the story you're about to tell me about my friend true? He says, be honest with you, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if it's true. I, I, I heard it from somebody else. Okay. Is what you're about to tell me a compliment about my friend? It's something good about my friend? No, quite the opposite. It's actually, he was caught doing something wrong. Was, uh, no, it's definitely not a compliment. Is what you're about to say, third question, is about what you're about to say. Is it useful for me? Is it going to help me in my life? And he says, come to think of it, probably not. No, it's really not going to affect you in any way. Because, so let me get this straight. You're about to tell me something about my friend that you're not really sure is true. You didn't verify, you didn't see it with your own eyes. It's definitely not a compliment to my dear friend. It's not going to help my friend. And it's not going to help me. That's Lashon Ara. That's Lashon Ara. That's Lashon Ara 99.9% of the time. That's Lashon Ara. Now, Rabbi Dani is here to help you. Rabbi Dani made a series. These are three CDs. Be'ezat Hashem, more are going to come out. It's 150 lectures. You have to watch this stuff. It's short lectures, 15 minutes, a half hour, on the way to work, in the gym. What, you have to listen to this stuff. Sometimes two, three times, same lecture. Because Imamash delves into the Chafetz Chaim. Alakha by Alakha. Why this? Why this? Why this? So now you don't go up to Allah Abba and you say, oh no, no, they didn't tell me. They didn't tell me. They told you. You have a CD. How much? Free. Free. Kesevi Neshama for free. So I brought you some. Anyone didn't get, I have more because of the So you have that. It's on YouTube. He has a website also. Uh, he's also on my in my groups, uh, the uh, WhatsApp groups. 
he posts in my WhatsApp groups. So Baruch Hashem, it's a mamash. Uh, he's, he's, he does some really good stuff, some really good work. Baruch Hashem, he's mamash a lover of Hashem. He's a lover of Am Yisrael. And there's not many people like that in the world, unfortunately. So, Baruch Hashem, when you find somebody good, you go. So, now, we'll start off with your questions, and then we will move on. Go. Go. Can you say all the names, and then you say all Amisrael? All of Amisrael. you say all Amisrael in the first place? Like, what's the difference? Amen. Why do I say, why don't I say all of Amisrael right from the beginning? Yeah. Technically you can. Technically you can. But then you wouldn't feel so special. Mm. Then the people that come that want me to bless their mother or their father or their sister or their daughter or their son or something like that, they wouldn't feel as special. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Plus there's more kavanah. Plus there's addition to that. Is also more kavanah. When you're saying a general statement, it's not as significant as when you have a uh, you know a more specified blessing for a person. So there's also more kavanah on a specific person. When you're saying it, you're supposed to have a kavanah on the person. That particular person with that name, Hashem should bless them. Why? In the merit of this shiur Torah, this Torah that we're learning, Bukhaba, have a seat. In the merit of this shiur Torah that we're learning, they're going to have lifwash lama. So you have a little more cover now when you're thinking about these people. So, go ahead. Yeah. Um, and now we were Fidel, the only honest person I know in business. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, we were talking about the, 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 uh, the death. As it is. Is there any space between the death, as it is, I mean, a death uh, person and Gehenon or Amabasso? Replied, or there is something in between. It's what happens like, after you die, in so many words? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. After you die, you, you don't go straight there. It's a process before that, right? Okay. All right. That's my question. Is this in a space? And there, is, there is a space. There is several places that a person okay. can go to. In short, um, there is a... Gan Eden Genom, each one of them has seven parts. But there's also parts that are outside of Gan Eden Genom. One of them is called Kafakela. Kafakela, unlike most of Gehenom, which is in essence a place for a person to cleanse their soul. I really don't like to use that word cleanse their soul because it almost makes it seem like fun. It almost makes it seem like maybe we should go spend a weekend there to see what happens. Like a, like a spa. Like a spa, like a retreat. Because the reality of it is that the best part of Gehenom is worse than all of the bad that ever happened in this world for everyone put together. The best part of Gehenom. So no one should ever aspire to ever go there. And unfortunately, sometimes when people use incorrect language to describe it, it, uh, it distorts the facts. There's actually an uh, article that was written on the Chabad website uh, several years ago this is maybe going back uh, at least five, six years, um, about uh, do Jews believe in hell? Do Jews believe in Genom? And the guy that wrote it, Mamash distorted the facts, outright lied, uh, made Genom sound like a vacation. Now I made a comment, and I provided a bunch of sources, this is already many years ago, 
but this was completely the opposite of everything that I learned. So it's either everything I learned is a complete lie again, or this guy is lying. Most likely he's lying because Arizal is not lying, the Gemara is not lying, my Rav is not lying. <laughs> I can't be all these people are lying. And this little Chabadne uh, guy is everything's okay. Everybody is, uh, goes to a washing machine and everything's okay. So we go to New York, what's a washing machine? Washing machine. The way you described it, it sounded like a fun place, like a, uh, one of these uh, water parks. So I wrote some comments, and he responded to me privately. We went back and forth a few times, and then he just stopped responding, and they, they, they never put my comments on the site. Now the article gets reposted every year. So you can go see it now. It gets reposted every year. It gets re-emailed to everybody every year. And it's the same garbage every year. People are led to believe that it's uh, Genom or hell or whatever they want to call it is, uh, is not a part of Judaism. Or if it is, it's not so bad. This is, this is as far from the truth as you could possibly get. Any place that you read about it, whether it's from Rashi himself, the commentator Rashi, that's, you know, it's a... Uh, uh, oh, you read it, you know, the commentary of Rashi is black or white. It's not uh, his opinion. He doesn't use his opinion. Black or white tells you what this, this. Rashi made some commentary on it in the Gemara, uh, or you see the Gemara itself, or the Zohar, or the Rashid Chochma, or the Arizal, or several different places. There's many places that talk about it. Um, and even in the Musar books, like Or Yisrael, or Rabbi Yisrael Misalant, Talks about it. I mean, we're not talking about details, details like Rashid Chokhmah, but they talk. The, the, you know, no one says it's a washing machine. That's an invention of this current generation of Care Bear rabbis. So anyone that tells you that it's going to be okay and Gainom is just a stopping, it's not such a big deal, doesn't know anything, you're not allowed to ever listen to him again about anything. Not even directions to the mall. Why? Because he's a liar. He's Mamash a liar. He's either ignorant, which means you shouldn't learn from an ignorant person, or he's a liar, which is even worse. So, uh, unfortunately, this stuff has to be said. It has to be said because people are living their whole life not realizing it's a mistake. So, you need to know the cost of the steak before you order it. If you go to a restaurant and you see there's no price on the menu, you're going to order everything. But if the... Waiter says to you, hey, sir, sir, before you order everything on the menu, you should turn it around. It says the prices on everything. And you see the minimum is $100. The minimum is $100 for every item. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You get six bucks in your pocket. A credit card, you're not really sure if there's any money on. Like, you know what? Can I just have the salad? Can I just have the salad? Oh, it's also $99. Oh, no. Can I, the salad from the next, the guy that left it over. The guy that left... The guy left, he left over some salad, he didn't eat the whole thing. Can I have his salad? You're not going to order anything. Why? Because now you realize the cost. You realize the price. You realize the price of how much it's going to cost to order from this restaurant. If you don't know the cost of a sin in this world, you're going to make every sin known to man. Kevin Spacey is going to be a tzaddik in your eyes. You understand? And that's the illusion that people have. Rav Desler, Alava Shalom, he says, you know, people like to use parables. Parables gives you an image, an imagery of some point that someone is trying to prove to you. In Mikhtam Me'eliyahu, 
uh, and also from uh, Search for Truth of Deslil, says these parables, it's a nice way for you to understand the point through some type of imagery. It says, the saddest thing in life is when someone lives a parable, where their whole life, their whole life, they believe something only to realize at the end the whole thing was wrong. The whole thing was a lie. The whole thing was a lie. So, as far as reward and punishment, there is reward and punishment. That reward and punishment is not just Olam Abba, it's also this world. There's this world, there's the next world. The next world has several places. Kafakela is one of those places. We're not going to go into the details, but in so many words, it's pure suffering. There's nothing good about it. It's not a washing machine. There's no washing, nothing. It's pure suffering. So, Bezat Hashem, no one goes there. But the reality of it is, if you don't do tshuva, there's no other place for you. So, the stops of where someone goes are very, very extraordinary. The book Rashid Chokhmah has a story of a tzaddik. Tzaddik. Went to Shemaim, Bedin of Shemaim. They said, you know what? You, Tzaddik. You, Tzaddik. Imagine Shemaim, you go Shemaim, they say Tzaddik. Here, everybody calls you Tzaddik. You're Rasha, Tzaddik they call you. Why? Because you donated $10,000. They call you Tzaddik because you told only $10,000. Even though your business is prostitution and pedophilia, they call you Tzaddik because you donated $10,000. So, in Shemaim, there's no, no such thing. Shemaim, if it's tzaddik, tzaddik. They say, you're tzaddik. But you made a few little sins. You a few little sins. You have a choice. You could either go to Gehenom for three days. Three days in Gehenom. Three, not for 30,000 years. Three days in Gehenom. Or you could go back in the Gilgul, reincarnate again, and live a whole new life. But now you risk... The whole thing all over again. Maybe you're not going to be tzaddik next time. Three days in Gehenna. People think that it's an exaggeration when we say that, you know, Gehenom can be a very long time. The Rashi says in the Gemara, they say that if we look at Am Yisrael, when we made the sin of the Meraglim, the spies, they went to Canaan, which was later called Israel, and they said Lashonara. Said Lashonara about what? About rocks. They didn't say Lashonara about God. They didn't say Lashonara about uh, Am Israel. They didn't say Lashonara about Mosh. Not what they said. They said Lashonara about rocks. They said this is a land that eats the people. It's not good. Hashem punished them for 40 years in a desert. And the actual people, the actual people that said Lashonara, Horrible, horrible punishment. Horrible punishment. We said it a few weeks ago. I don't want to repeat it. So much horrible. Give me a nightmare, this punishment that they had. So, now, how long was this sin? They went there for 40 days. They went to Canaan for 40 days. Rashi says, from here we learn what the consequence for our punishment is. What's the consequence? They sinned for 40 days, even though the sin itself took 40 seconds. They said, land is not good. 40 seconds it took. But they went for 40 days 
Am Yisrael got punished for 40 years. So we tell people, listen, Gehenom is 3,000 years, 2,000 years, 5,000 years for even... People are like, no, come on, you're exaggerating. We're exaggerating. Look at the books. Look at the books. 40 days they went away. They said something that took 40 seconds. Everyone got punished for 40 years. So it's important to know the price. Why? Because like we talked about last night, it's time to make a choice. It's time to make a choice. You want to be a rasha? Go full force. Go be a rasha. Go! Go be a rasha. You want to be tzaddik? Be tzaddik. Don't be in the middle. Stop with the middle. Stop with the half a goy, half a Jew stuff. Sometimes you're a Jew, tzaddik, sometimes you're a goy. Stop! Pick a, pick a side. I know it's hard. I know. Trust me. It's hard for me. It's hard for everyone. But you have to pick a side, meaning you have to try your best. It's time to try your best. It's time to try your best. I'm not saying become Moshe Rabbeinu, Sarai Menu tomorrow. But you have to try. Stop playing 50-50. Stop playing on both sides. Stop playing on both sides. At least try to play on the, on the right side at all times. Or if you're going to be a goy, just be a goy the whole way already. Why are you going to gain home anyway? What's the difference? So that's, that's the thing that people need to understand. You have to pick a side. Why? Because we're running out of time. Hashem is exposing all of the losers in the world. He's exposing Sodom for what it really is. He's exposing Sodom. Last week's parasha, parashat Lech Lecha, Hashem exposed Sodom. He just said Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said the leaders had some weird names. One was Ra, one was Rasha. It wasn't exact. But he didn't say this is the worst place on earth yet. Just mention it like on the side. This week's parasha says this is the worst place on earth. Sodom and Gomorrah. This is us. Until now, all of us were like not so sure how bad is the world? Is it really good? Is it bad? Are there still good people? Are there still good communities? Are there still... We're all in doubt. Right now, Hashem is exposing everyone. If you're Rasha, it's only a matter of time before Hashem is going to expose you. That's one of the nevuot of what's going to happen at the end of days. All of these Rashaim, even if they're religious or they pretend to be religious, they were Rashaim, they're going to be exposed. Which means we have to make a choice. We have to pick a side. Where do you want to be? If we're in the middle, time to pick a... Want to be Rasha? Be Rasha. Want to be Tzaddik? Be Tzaddik. We see that people that this Kevin Spacey thing to me is a big thing. It's a, it's a big sign. And the reason why, he's a very famous actor for decades. Now his persona in the world in general was not only as a very skilled, talented actor and so on and so forth, but people viewed him as he's one of the legends, look up to him. He's the, uh, you know, he was at the height of his career and he has some big show on, uh, you know, Netflix or something. He's literally at the height of his career. He's at the top right now. He's never been greater than he is right now until what was just announced. Hey, by the way, you raped some boy 30 years ago. And he completely cares less about it, saying, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know if I did, I'm sorry. Like, look, no care in the world, no shame. No shame. And by the way, everyone, I'm gay. That's what he says. Like, this is the day you decided to... So, it's like, Hashem told us in the, in the uh, few weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, that someone that desecrates his name in secret, when he exposes them, he's going to expose them in public. This is exactly that. 
He meets something 30 years ago. He forgot about it. Maybe he really did forget about it. Who knows? He was probably so high or drunk. Forgot about it 30 years ago. He brought him all the way to the top. All the way to the top because the fall is much harder. And he's not the only one. There's plenty of others that came before him and are going to follow after him. This is not the first story. This is just a famous story. It's happening right now as we speak. So the what many people aspire to be, whether it's famous Hollywood stars or athletes or business people or very, very rich, all of the things that people aspire to be, unfortunately, when they don't realize the truth, Hashem is exposing what it really means. Oh, Yitzhak showed up. Oh, here we go. So, Hashem is really exposing what it really means to achieve those goals of fame and fortune. Is that really going to be good for you? Or should you have actually reached for a different goal? Now, the confusing part is that people think that the wicked, the Kevin species of the world, the, the molesters of the world, the thieves of the world, the liars of the world, are technically benefiting. They have money, they have what's perceived as power, they have what's perceived as a good life. No one really knows what's happening behind the scenes until you have a suicide note and a body next to it. No one knew that many of these actors that killed themselves in the last few months or singers that have killed themselves in the last few months, no one knew that life was so bad for them, at least not the general public. So people aspire to be them. Hashem is exposing it to in a higher level than ever before, in a higher speed than ever before. Because he's giving Am Yisrael and any, anyone that's part of the righteous of the world, he's given everyone a fair chance, a fair chance to pick a side. So, before we decide which side we're going to be on, what we're going to do, we have to answer the question. Is it possible for us to know why they prosper if they're wicked? Is it possible for us to know why sometimes people that are trying to do tshuva, are trying to do good, suffer? It looks like it's supposed to be the opposite. So it's time for us to really uh, answer some of these questions because that may help our decision. So give me a couple of more questions and Mezat Hashem will start answering some uh, of this Mishnah. Go. Go there is a guy who says that the Jews need supposedly learn how to dress up during Purim from the Christians. We learned how to dress on Purim from the Christians? And therefore that becomes some kind of justification to go according to the way of Halloween since this is what we are doing right now and he has a bunch of people that are following him that are in agreement with him and he's supposed he he's Jewish? Jewish? Yeah. Um, we learned how to dress from the Christians I don't think so because the uh, the root of uh, Halloween is idol worship 
uh, and also different things that are bad for Am Yisrael, so I don't think that righteous Jews will learn anything from them. Uh, but in essence, the, uh, the whole uh, uh, dressing of, uh, of, of pulling all starts with really the, um, it's not just uh, today's tradition of dressing up is very different than the original dressing. The original dressing was, in essence, for people to um, replicate the characters in the Megillah. So people would dress like Esther, people like uh, dress like Mordechai, people dressed like Haman, people, because it would be a play. So every house would have a little play, or communities would have a play to act the part, act like be part of the Megillah, become one of the Megillah, live the ness, live the miracle. Now, in today's generation, and even in the last couple of generations, they've, uh, they've added more to it, where people dress up like other things too. Whether it's uh, like ninjas, like when I was a kid, every kid would be a ninja or a rock star. Uh, today, they're superheroes, they're X-Men, they're whatever. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but the original dressing up part is a Jewish custom. As far as dressing up like other things, I don't, I don't believe that's, a, that's we learned from the Christians. That's just people just decide to do other characters. Um, we're also less religious in general. So the most um, popular holidays are the less religious holidays. So Purim and Hanukkah are the most popular holidays for all Jews, even the ones that are not religious. Because they look like fun, you don't actually have to do anything. Uh, religious, if you will. So that's that's the thing. But as far as learning uh, to dress up because of uh, Halloween, uh, I don't I don't believe that there is really uh, not to my knowledge, at least. If he has sources and stuff like that, I can look into it. But to my knowledge, it's the two have nothing to do with each other. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I heard it's only a sin if what you spoke about actually caused harm to the person. No, that's Moshe Shemra. Oh. No, there's rechilut, there's lashonara, there's, there's different, there's many, many, many different levels, many, many different levels, right? There's many different levels. Lashonara uh, is something you can never learn enough about. Uh, to be honest with you, with the exception of um, lectures and speaking to my wife, I generally try to not talk. Uh, and the reason why is because I know if it's not Lashonara, what else are you going to talk about? That's the Yetzirah tells you that in your head. If you're not going to talk Lashonara about this guy or that guy or this one or that, what else are you going to talk about? What else is there to talk about? In the world? That's what the Yetzirah tells you. Well, you're not going to talk about, do you, do you hear what he did? Do you hear what she did? So that's the thing. So... It's very hard not to talk Lashonara if you're a talker. And I'm a talker. So, I choose not to talk. Learn Torah, teach Torah, speak to my wife a little bit every day for Shlom Bayit, for, for, to know what's going on, make sure everything's okay. That's the only... Again, it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily that uh, you do tshuva and you become overly righteous. It's just that you have to get to know your Yetzirah. Now, Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me the ability to speak. Hashem gave everyone a different gift. Some people, He gave them certain gifts. Some people gave them other gifts. Me, He gave, Baruch Hashem, He gave me an ability to speak. But that could be used as a sword, either to kill myself 
or to kill the Yetzirah? It depends. I could either say Shure Torah, and words of Torah are going to help people do tshuva, save their souls, with Hashem, change their life, change their marriages, improve their everything. Or I could mamash commit suicide by talking about other people all day, every day, destroy their lives, and everything else. So that's the thing. So that, that same gift that Hashem gives you can be used for both things. Someone that likes blood, there's some people that have a nature, they like blood. They can become a butcher, they become a surgeon. Fine, kosher. Or they can become a serial killer. Or they can work for ISIS. Same thing. So that nature that Hashem instilled in you can be used for good or bad. And Lashonara is a very, very dangerous thing. It's very dangerous, so it's, uh, it's very hard not to do it. And that's why it's important to just mamash, limit your words. Limit the amount you talk. The Gemara actually says in several places uh, that you were only given a certain amount of words in your life. So with the exception of Divrei Torah, which you can say an unlimited amount, the amount of nonsense, meaning everything other than Torah that you can say in your life, is actually already accounted for in Shammai. Meaning, there's a certain amount of words that you're going to be able to say in your lifetime. So we're just going to throw a number. Let's say if it's a billion words, someone that likes to talk about nothing every day, he likes to talk about the baseball and the basketball and the football and the shows and the Netflixes and the news and who's the next politician and who's the greatest politician and what's the next uh, conspiracy theory and what's the current conspiracy theory and all the things that he likes to talk about. Fine, he should just know he's killing himself. Because every time he talks about those things, the account keeps going lower and lower. So he thinks everything is fine. He's only 25, 30, 40 years old. He thinks he's got at least another 40, 50 years to go, not realizing that the amount of words full of garbage that came out of his mouth just cut his life in half. So that's another reason why it's not a good idea to talk too much. Why does he just die and not become mute? Why does he become mute? Meaning, oh, as a, as a, that's a, that's a tikkun? No, there's definitely different types of tikkun. The Gemara says that the uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, one of the places in the Gemara we learn about Gilgulim. It's not the, exactly the shiur to talk about all the Gilgulim, all the details of it, uh, not that I know all the details, but the several different consequences can happen to a person that doesn't follow the way of Hashem, doesn't complete their mission. And, uh, oh, actually, we forgot to say the end of that story. Uh, yeah, so we had the tzaddik in Rashid Chokhmah. They told him, you're a tzaddik. Oh, Hashem, good job. But you made a few sins. So you could either reincarnate, have a whole new life as another person, or you could go to Gainum for three days. Now, reincarnation could be in several different things. It could be in several different levels. Someone, because you have several different forms of life. You have the domem. Domem means still life, something that doesn't move, a rock. There are neshamot and rocks. There are actual neshamot that come back as a gigul, as rocks. 
Sometimes they're in the walls. The Gemara says, Reshaim, that Mevatel Torah, someone that doesn't learn Torah when he could, he comes back as the wall. Why? Wall in the Bet Midrash. He's forced to listen to Shuret Torah all day. It's not funny. Comes back as the wall in the Bet Midrash, in the Bet Knesset. Because he talked all the time on his phone during the tefillah. Say, okay, now you're going to actually can't talk. You're going to be in Knesset all day. You can't talk now. Why? You're the wall. It's not funny. It's crazy. Zikmarat says this. They come back as the walls. They want to scream. They have neshamot of humans. It's not a wall. What's another place we see it from in science? There are different places around the world, deserts. There's proof of this where they see rocks moving. Now they don't move like you and me. They move very, very slowly. So, should, so to the naked eye, you can't see it. So how do they know they move? Because they leave. They leave cameras there. Or they don't even leave cameras. They come back months or years later and they see the rocks move from one place to the other, from one end to the other, and there's marks, there's streaks on the ground. There's streaks on the ground. You can see this on the internet. How did this rock move? This is a boulder. It's not like a little tiny little rock that you can throw like the Palestinians throw at Jews all day. We're talking about boulders, giant rocks. Move from place to place. Why is Neshamot inside those rocks? Some people try to explain that these rocks move because of rain and this and it's neshamot. So that's one gilgul. Gemara says someone can come back in a, as a wall, mamash, as a wall. Another higher form of life is tzomeach, plant, tree. Someone come back as a tree. How are they going to finish their gilgul? Someone that was a heretic. Went against the Torah, maybe they're going to cut him up after he grows a tree for a hundred years, make him into a Sefer Torah, who knows. Maybe that's his tikkun. Whatever it's going to be, the point is, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a reward, it's a punishment. Another one is a chai, someone's chai. Chai is alive. What's alive? An animal. A cow. A dog. Rashaim, uh, come back as dogs. People say Lashonara, come back as dogs. People that uh, waste seed come back as dogs. People that go with uh, intermarriage come back as dogs. These are specific gigulim that come back as dogs. Some are other animals. The reason why is because dogs are very promiscuous animals. So all those guys that haven't listened to the shiur about wasting seed yet that we made, or they listen and they still waste seed, you should watch the shiur because you don't want to come back as a dog. I know I'm going to get hammered by people that hate me about these these uh, these things that I'm saying, but this is this is Torah. It's not my my opinion. Rizal and several other places talk about this. Gemara uh, as well also. Um, the next level is medabel, someone that speaks human being, human being. We're not talking about a parrot or monkey. Someone human being speaks. Someone that speaks is the next level. Someone that speaks, human being, he has a Yetzirah. He has a Yetzirah Tov. He has a good and bad if he's a Jew. If he's not, it's a different type of inclination. But nonetheless, the someone that speaks has the ability to determine between good and bad. So a cow, the way that it can fix itself, because it can't do much, 
is simply by being slaughtered by a Jew and then sold as kosher meat. But if someone stole money, there's Rabbi Chaim Ivolojin, someone, uh, I'm sorry, he, he told the story and then it transferred. The story actually goes all the way from the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov, not Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov went to one of uh, his students to visit one of his students, and the student had horses. You saw the guy has a lot of horses, many, many horses. But he sees one horse, this horse looks for work. Not only works, he's looking for more work. Sometimes you have employees, they look for excuses not to work. Most of the time, people think that it's a good job if they don't do anything all day. They tell you, I have the best job. Why? I don't do anything all day. By the way, you're a thief. If you have that kind of a job where they pay you and you don't do anything all day, you're a thief. You have to come back and get good because you're stealing from them every day. If they're paying you to do something and you're looking for ways not to do something, meaning you're not doing the work they're paying you to do, you're a thief. Gezer, Gazlan. You're going to come back as a Gilgul. Now if you have nothing to do, they tell you, they pay you to be a, a, a security guard. Security guard waits until somebody comes and uh, he has to be a security guard with him. Fine, that's what you're paid to do. If you're waiting for a customer to show up, fine, no problem. But if they're paying you to, let's say, write a program, if they're paying you to, let's say, watch the kids, if they're paying you to be a banker, and you're instead watching YouTube videos, even if it's Shur Torah, first of all, there's no mitzvah. You're not getting the mitzvah for Shur Torah you learned. Second of all, you're a thief. Why? You're taking their money for not doing the work. So what happened if somebody did that one time? The Baal Shem Tov says, I went to one of my students, and I saw he has a bunch of horses. I was looking for a horse. Because I had to make a trip. I was looking for a new horse. I looked at all the horses, and my uh, student says, Rabbi, take whatever you want, whatever horse you want, take. It was that one. The guy starts crying. The Baal Abai, the student starts crying hysterical. He goes, please, please, anything. Take 500 horses, don't take him. Five, take 500 horses, don't take this horse for me. 500 horses, don't take this horse. This horse, he wakes me up to give, so I can give him more work to do. The rest of the horse is looking for vacation. This one looks for work. He wakes me up so he wants... I've never had a horse like this. This horse wants to work non-stop. He doesn't want to go to sleep. He doesn't want to take vacations. He doesn't want to eat. All he wants to do is work all day. He goes, I want that horse. But Kvodaraf, please take another horse. Is there any way you can take another horse? He goes, no, I want this horse. <laughs> I want this horse. <laughs> so he says, honestly, Kvodaraf, it's only because of you. I'm going to give you the horse. So after he says, okay, you sold him to me? Sell it to me. It's okay. Now I have to ask you a question. You're, you're, you're a neighbor. You're a neighbor, right? He goes, yeah, Allah shalom. Zichon Olivachah, he died, yeah. He goes, your neighbor, did he owe you some money? Did your neighbor owe you some money? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm scared. No, yeah. I sold him a few things, and he gave me uh, some money, and it wasn't enough. He never gave me all the rest of the money. Then he died before he paid me the rest of the balance. He died before he paid me the rest. He was an honest guy, nice guy. Nice guy. But before he died... He didn't pay me the rest of the balance. So he says, do you forgive him? He goes, of course, yeah, he was my friend. Nice guy, Sadiq, nice guy. I liked him a lot. He just, he died, Mr. Skin. what can he do? 
Pay me from Gan Eden? He goes, exactly. Maybe. Maybe he's going to pay from Gan Eden. He goes, you forgive him? He goes, of course I forgive him. I forgive you, no problem. He says, as soon as he said, I forgive him three times, the horse died on the spot. The horse died on the spot. The guy starts crying. He goes, what happened to my horse? He goes, that was him. He had to come back in a Gilgul to pay you back the money. That's why I wanted him. That's why I wanted him. Because if he was still yours, you wouldn't say Machulacha. Yetzirah would convince you. Would convince you to not say it. To not forgive him. So you steal, there's a big consequence for it. It's a big consequence. Someone speaks... They have the ability to determine right and wrong, not like a horse. If they're righteous Gentile, wicked Gentile, righteous, they have an ability to pick on choice, not just instinct. An animal is pure instinct. Excuse me, a person can use his mind, determine right and wrong. And then there's, according to the Zohar Kadosh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai also says this in the Gemara, Masechet Yoma. Masechet Yoma, page 61a. He says, there's one level above the Medaber. What's the one level above? It's the Baal Torah. Someone learning Torah. Someone that's a Jew learning Torah. That's the highest level. Now, why, why, why do we even mention this part? It sounds like we're prejudiced. It sounds like not so nice to the Goyim. They're not obligated with 613 mitzvot. Oh, we think we're better than them? So I'm here to tell you that at some point there was a trial called the Baelish trial. The Baelish trial. The Goyim have always tried to kill us for different reasons. That's part of their mission. Not all of them, obviously, but the wicked Goim have always tried to kill the Jews. So, the Christians in general have not exactly been such great friends to the Jews throughout history. Right now we're friends, but that's only because they're killing us quietly by converting us to Christianity. So you know, in a recent statistic that was published by Jews for Judaism, Jews for Judaism is a fantastic organization it's anti-missionary, led by Michael Sko- Rabbi Michael Skobach uh, and others. Fantastic organization that is anti-missionary. And uh, recently they published this statistic and they said, just recently there's been over 500,000 Jews have been converted to Christianity. A half a million Jews have converted to Christianity in recent memory. Half a million Jews. So this is not like a small cold in a small sect in somewhere in America. 500,000 Jews. So whether you believe there's 10 million Jews in the world or 20 million Jews in the world, it's irrelevant. 500,000 is a big number. It's a big number. So now, the Christians, in, before they started converting us, they... Uh, used to kill us. They looked for excuses to kill us. So one of the ways, they would always uh, claim of blood libels, meaning they would say that the Jews really are murderous people 
And really they are killing non-Jews because they don't value the life of a non-Jew. So one of the nonsense uh, uh, things that they made up is that we take non-Jewish children and kill them and then use their blood to make matzahs. Now as ridiculous as that sounds, there are still many people in the world today, today, right now as we speak, that believe this is true. Today this is still being taught in some schools in the world. Today, I'm not talking about 500 years ago. Today, right now, 2017, according to the Catholics and Christian calendar, 2017, 5778, according to the Jews, today people believe Jews kill non-Jews and eat their blood. So now, one time there was this person that they claimed he murdered somebody and he uh, drank his blood so, the Jews had to defend. And um, the Jews had to defend themselves for this nightmare. Problem is that the Goim in previous generations weren't like the Goim today. In previous generations, the Goim, the Christians, they knew a lot of Torah. They knew a lot of Torah, not like today where they're just making up things. They actually knew a lot of Torah. And their case was that in the Gemara, in Masechet Yevamot, page 61a, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, Atem kruim adam, ve'eno umot ha'olam kruim adam. Hashem says to the Jewish people in, uh, in Ezekiel 34.30, He says, you are called Adam, you are called Adam, but the nations of the world are not Adam. You are a person, literally, what this is translated, you are a person, Hashem says to the Jewish people, says to the prophet Ezekiel, you are a person, but the rest of the nations are not people. That's how they translated it. So the Christian lawyer said, look, that's why they kill us. They don't value our life. They don't think we're important. They don't think we're anything. Now only a Chacham can defend it. Because if you don't know Torah, we're doomed. Forget about the guy that's on trial that they want to kill. They're going to kill everyone. So they had to bring a big Talmud Chacham. Rabbi Meir Shapira. Rabbi Meir Shapira was the genius behind Dafayomi. Dafyomi, people learn Dafyomi, Dafyomi every day. It's because of him. He says he saw a few students in a kollel how excited they would get every so often when they would finish one Daf in the Gemara. And he says the average balabite, the average person, doesn't finish one Daf Gemara in his life because he doesn't know the value of it. So what if we made it easier by giving a concept? Forget about finishing the whole Gemara. Finish one Daf. One daf, he's going to get so excited, he's going to do one daf every day, da 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 Eventually you can finish the whole shas after seven years approximately. Imagine a person that works all day could still finish the shas every seven years. It's amazing. His Rav says, this is genius. They made, they implemented it, and it became, till this day, Baruch Hashem, it's much bigger than ever before. There's, I don't know, 100,000 people that show up to Madison Square Garden every few years to do the Siyuma shas together. It's a big, big event. So Rabbi Meir Shapira, big giant Talmud Chacham Tzadik, says, yes, it's written in Ezekiel, it's written. It's not a verse in the Torah, in Tanakh, we can't change. 
And yes, in the Gemara, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says exactly, Atem Kuim Adam, and know what the Olam Kuim Adam, but you're not using the right commentary. What's the real meaning of this? It says, Hashem Itbarah says to Am Yisrael, one commentary is telling in the trial, says, Hashem Itbarah is saying to Am Yisrael, you are a nation. You are one nation. You're like a one person. You as a nation is like one person. Meaning, you're like Adam Arishon. If Adam Arishon, his arm hurts, he can't say arm, go away. Go away. I got my other arm. We're going to be alone. We're going to go away. Or if his leg hurts, he says, hey, leg, go away. We, we don't want to play with you anymore. You're one nation. You're one body. You have to help each other. You can't just say, no, this arm hurts. I'm cutting it off. This head hurts. I'm cutting it off. You're one nation. You're one people. The rest of the nations are not one people. Rabbi Meir Shapira says to them, look at this trial. It's the best evidence. Look, this Jew, no one knows him. This Bayless guy, I don't know him. He doesn't know him. No one knows him. But he's on trial. Look at who's in the audience. There are Jews from Russia. There are Jews from America. There are Jews from... There are Jews from all the corners of the world came to the trial to help another Jew. They don't know. Why? Because we're one nation. We're dumb. We're one nation. But if a Russian guy got in trouble, the American guy's not calling him. The Chinese guy's not calling him. The Indian guy's not... No one, no one cares. Even if you're within the same nation, you're not, the same, you're not one nation. If one American gets in trouble, the rest of the country doesn't really care. There was this crazy event that they have in Miami with motorcycles every year apparently around this time. And uh, last year, one year, there was somebody that got injured really bad. Like they all do wheelies, they go on one wheel and they do all these tricks and so on on these motorcycles. Whatever, you have nothing to do in your life. I guess this is what you do. Boredom leads to sin, so apparently this is what, what it looks like or how it starts. Anyway, there's at least one person that got injured really bad. I think he actually died. Now, there were images of people driving by him, looking at the body on the floor. It's like, ah, and just driving away. But we're not talking about one, two, three hundreds and hundreds of people in the same tour. They're all driving motorcycle. One guy ran into a car, got either really injured or died. There's a body on the floor. There's a body on the floor, not in good shape. They look at him, they're videotaping it with their cameras, with their phone. That's how I know about this. They video camera with the phone. And they say, ah, man. And you see people just passing. No one cares. If you go to Israel, go to Israel. If you just go start pacing around, pace around, go pace back and forth, and just talk out loud, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Just keep saying, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. At least five people are going to stop you. They don't know you. What happened? You okay? Everything's okay? Everything's okay? They don't know you. What do you care if everything's okay? Why? We're one nation. We're one nation. doesn't matter. You're black, you're white, you're in Eretz Israel. Different people. I remember before we moved to America, this is over 30 years ago, as a kid, there was this comedian, Dudu Topaz, he made this uh, skit about going to America, or he was thinking going to America, and he says, you know the difference between America 
in Israel is in Israel, everybody's in your business. You slip, you fall, ten people want to help you just and find out why you fell. You okay. Because in America, I hear you fall, you could die in the middle of the street. No one would even say anything. Now everyone laughed because everyone thought it's a joke. It's not a joke, by the way. You can, there are actually videos that people have done experiments pretending to die in the middle of the street and thousands and thousands of people passed them, looked at them, did nothing, just went on in their life. No one cares. Why? Am Yisrael is a nation. So Rabbi Meir Shapiro, Rabbi Meir Shapiro says, this is what happened. Rabbi Meir Shapiro Milublin saved the day. But then there's another chidush. Then there's another chidush that changes everything. Rav Dessler says, When one of these levels is destroyed, when a rock is destroyed, it doesn't become something else. When a plant dies, it doesn't become a rock. When an animal is killed, it doesn't become a plant. When a man dies, it doesn't become a tree. It becomes nothing. Same thing with a Jew. Same thing with a Jew. When a Jew does not have Torah, he has nothing. He has nothing. He doesn't go down to a level of a regular speaking non-Jew. In Shemaim, he's considered nothing. No Lamaba. Hashem has given him all the reward <coughs> that he's entitled to in this world to eliminate him. He doesn't have the choice of being a Ben Noach. A lot of people tell me, listen, I'm not really ready to do tshuva. Can I just be a goy? You don't have that choice. You don't have that choice. So that is both in the Gemara Masechet Yevamot and also in the Zohar Kadosh elaborates on it. Zohar Kadosh elaborates on it. So the Mishnah in Avot, excuse me, Mishnah in Avot, says the following. It says, Rabbi Anai Omer, En beyadenu lo mishalvat ha-reshaim v'af lo mishuri ha-tzadikim. Rabbi Anai only stated this Mishnah. We don't have any other Mishnayot from him. And he lived during the times of when the Roman Empire was destroying and killing many Jews during the Roman persecution. And he says, this Mishnah makes sense. When you think about the time of who and when and what, what was said, you understand what he said, why he said it. Rabbi Anai says, it's not in our power to explain either the tranquility, meaning the fun, the, uh, the, the pleasure that the wicked experience, or the suffering that the righteous experience. It's beyond us to explain such a thing. Beyond us. We don't understand why Hashem lets the wicked look like they're having a good time. And the righteous are suffering. 
Stomach aches, headaches, kid aches, all these different suffering. Who doesn't have suffering in life? Right. Wicked person suffering, we understand. He's a rasha. He's a rasha, he deserves it. But when a wicked person is prospering, it's hard for us to understand. And Rabbi Anai says, it's not hard, it's impossible. It's not possible to understand. Now, there are several explanations. There are several explanations. In the Gemara, Masechet Brachot. Brachot. Where are you, Masechet Brachot? Masechet Brachot is crying in Shamayim. This is Amos learning me. A few weeks already, he hasn't learned me. Masechet Brachot is crying. You guys don't know. Masechet. You don't know Masechet is a real, is a real Neshama? You heard about Masechet Chagigah? You don't know about Masechet Chagigah? Masechet Chagigah is a song. Go on YouTube, type in Masechet Chagigah. The song about Masechet Chagigah. What's the, what's the song? A story in Gemara was a person that was learning Torah. And uh, a story of Chazal. That a person learning Gemara and he started learning Masechet Chagigah. Masechet Chagigah has a lot of mystical things. A lot of mystical things. In Masechigah, what's happening in Shamayim, what's happening before this world, the Big Bang, Malachim, Genom, a lot of very, very difficult stuff. But it's a small Masechet, small. And this one person, Tzaddik, was learning it, and then he realized that he was going blind. He went to the doctor, the doctor says you have a limited amount of time. You have a limited amount of time before you can lose your sight. You're not gonna. There's nothing to fix. No cure. So he says the only way that I continue studying Torah for the rest of my life is if I know Masechet by heart. Once you're blind, you can't read anymore. So he picks a Masechet. He takes Masechet Chagiga because it's small. He says if I learn this a bunch of times, eventually I'm gonna know it by heart. He learned it hundreds and hundreds of times. It takes a lot of time, but still he learned it nonstop. One day. He dies. For years he learned his Gemara by heart. One day he dies. And the, uh, no one shows up to the funeral. No one knew this person. And this woman shows up to the Beknesset. He says, Kvodarav, don't you know that so and so died? Oh no, we didn't really know him. Oh, he didn't know. It's a big tzaddik. Never made a sin. All these different compliments. Because tzaddiks don't talk about themselves. Big tzaddik. You know how he knew this. You know the. Wow. They all go to the funeral. They all chatano avinu pashano. How didn't we know? Tzaddik among us. Tzaddik among us. They all crying at the funeral. We're sorry we didn't know this tzaddik. We didn't speak to him. We don't know, ta-ta-ta. And then, the woman, after the funeral, they asked the woman, what's your name? She says, Chagiga. And disappears. Who was it? Masechet Chagiga. Masechet Chagiga, when you learn it, like every Masechet, you give it life. So you started learning, you started learning Masechet Brachot, it's crying right now. 
It's crying in Shemayim. He says, Amos is not learning Masechet Bechot. He's uh, worrying about his diamonds right now. Well, Instead of the things. diamonds in Shemayim, you worry about this. I'm learning other things. Other things. What is Masechet Bechot? Masechet Bechot. Masechet Bechot. The, the Gemara is the foundation of learning. Gemara is the foundation of learning. If you're, if you, it's good you're watching Shuret Torah. It's very good. <coughs> but if you're a man, you have to learn Gemara. You have to learn Gemara. So, Gemara Masechet Brachot, page 5. It's the beginning. You already passed this. So, Gemara talks about suffering. I'm almost on the book, though. Book? I'm almost on the... I'm about towards the end. So, you gotta go back to the Gemara. So, Gemara talks about suffering. Talks about different things. If somebody suffers. Why? Who? What? When? And so on and so forth. It tries to explain suffering. It says, Rava, and some say it was Rav Chista, says if someone has afflictions, if he's suffering, Im adam alav. someone has some type of suffering, he should investigate his deeds. Because we have a deen in Shemaim, measure for measure. There's no suffering without sin. So if you're suffering... There has to be a reason. Must be a reason. You must have made some type of sin. Could have been yesterday. Could have been last week. Could have been 25 years ago. It's your fault. But it's your fault. It's not a shem. It's just for no reason. That's what they're saying here. Yifashpesh b'ma'asav. Nechapsad darkenu b'nachkorav anashuv ha'adashem. They, they use a verse in Sefer uh, Echa, chapter 3, verse 40, as a source. Let us search and examine our ways and return to Hashem. That's what Amisai is saying. Okay, this whole craziness that's just happened. Millions and millions of people are dying every day. The Holocaust of their day, Bet HaMikdash, <coughs> being destroyed. We have to examine ourselves. We have to examine our deeds and return to Hashem. Do tshuva. That's where we learn it from. But then it says, Pishpesh velomatsa. What if he examined in deeds, his deeds? He didn't find anything. He didn't find anything. Tadik. Itla bitul Torah. says, if he looked at his own deeds, reviewed his deeds, he didn't find anything wrong. He says he should attribute the fact that he's suffering to neglecting Torah. Why neglecting Torah? They <laughs> say that someone, basic pshat, someone that had the ability to study Torah and didn't study. That's the pshat. That's the basic meaning. Instead of learning Torah, you watch TV. Instead of learning Torah, you were playing with your phone. Instead of learning Torah, you went to play games. That's the pshat. The Vilna Gaon says, it's not that. It's not that. It's more. It's deeper. What's deeper? How can someone that is only sin is not studying enough Torah? Someone, you're that righteous? Is there such a thing as someone that's that righteous? This is, this is the Gomavina. This is not uh, uh, someone. Someone that's that righteous doesn't make any sins. The only sin he has, he didn't study enough Torah? Impossible. Why? It's not what, that's not what the Gemara is saying. What the Gemara is saying is that he didn't learn enough Torah, which means that when he, because he didn't learn, he didn't know what he was doing wrong. Because he didn't know the law. 
So when he looked, he didn't know what's sin and what's mitzvah bichlal. Much, much further than his only sin was not learning Torah. That's what he says. That's next. So, he says, it's not that. He didn't learn enough. He didn't learn enough Torah. He couldn't determine the difference between right and wrong. There's no such thing as he didn't find a sin. He's making more sins than he even realizes. But then the Gemara continues. It says, So, David HaMelech says, Fortunate is the man who God afflicts and whom you teach from your Torah. If he attempted to attribute his afflictions to neglect of Torah, but he didn't find anything. Says, if he's trying to contribute, attribute his, his suffering because he didn't study enough Torah, he got a flat tire because he's not studying Torah, he's losing money because he didn't study Torah, his wife left him because he didn't study Torah, his kids hate him because he didn't study Torah, all this, things are happening. Then he says, okay, I'm going to do tshuva. I'm going to do tshuva. He starts doing tshuva, starts learning Torah, but nothing gets fixed. His wife still hates him. His kids are still failing in school. He gets even three fly tires today, not one. Yesterday was one. It was better than yesterday. Things get worse. Then it could be assumed, Yisurim Shalava. should be assumed that the afflictions, the suffering, is because Hashem loves him. As it is written, as it is written, Kiet Asher Yoav Hashem Yochiach. In Proverbs three twelve, Hashem says, "Those that He rebukes, it's only because He loves them." If someone is living a life where it looks great, they're driving fancy schmancy cars, big houses, they have a lot of money, but they're not doing anything that Hashem wants. And Hashem doesn't do anything about it. That means Hashem gave up on him. <coughs> Hashem says, "Mishalem el oivav el panav leavido." He pays his haters to their face to destroy them. But if someone starts doing tshuva, someone starts doing tshuva, and all of a sudden they, things get worse, they start losing money. Wait a minute! I just started doing tshuva. I start keeping mitzvot. I'm already keeping mitzvot. Why am I losing money? It should be the opposite. It's actually a good sign. What's the sign? It says, Hashem is accepting your tshuva. Why is it a sign that He's accepting your tshuva? Because now, He's saying, Ah, look, your one is doing tshuva. It's a good sign. So now, he has a, He's going to get a share of Olam Abba. But I want Him to go straight to Gan Eden. I don't want Him to go to Gainom because He's doing serious tshuva. So, there's a few sins you made in the past. There's a few mistakes you made in the past. So instead of you paying for them in a very, very hot place, I'm going to make you pay for it now. So you lose money here. You get a flat tire here. You have different suffering here. This is one of the explanations. This is the basic pshat that the Maharal explains of why someone suffers. This is one of the reasons that Hashem is giving you a, a punishment of love. It means that Hashem is accepting your tshuva. He accepts your tshuva. He accepts 
your good deeds, but since you've made some mistakes in the past, or perhaps are still making mistakes. I mean, everybody makes sins. There's no such thing as a righteous person that doesn't sin at all. Everybody makes some type of sin. So, even David Melech, David Melech made a few sins in his life. He still became the fourth pillar of the Merkava, but the point is, is that he was suffering for a long time because he didn't know why he, you know, what was happening. So he actually was about to make a very big mistake. He says, "Look, I do tefillin, I wrote tefillin, I give tzedakah, I do da and I still suffer. This could be chilul Hashem, because what happens? All the goyim." All the secular Jews, what do they say? Look at this religious guy. He's a tzaddik and he's suffering. Who wants to be religious? David HaMelech says, this could be chulul Hashem. This could be a desecration of Hashem's name. They're going to say, look, it doesn't pay to be religious. So what David HaMelech say, do? Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin says, David HaMelech says, I'm going to go do idol worship. Not chas v'shalom because he wants to go do idol worship. He says, I'm going to go walk into a church and then leave. Not go pray to uh, J.C. Penny. Why? So all the secular Jews can say, look, he's a rasha, really, in disguise. He's one of these fake rabbis. That's why Hashem is punishing him. Because Hashem, you can't hide from Hashem. They're going to catch him on the news. Look, 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 look. Tzaddik went to church. Look, Tzaddik went to strip club. Look, Tzaddik went to casino. Went to casino. That's why Hashem's punishing him. He says, so there's no chilu. They, rather, they embarrass me my whole life that Hashem's name get desecrated. The Navi came to David HaMelech, he says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to go make a sin on purpose to give people an impression that I'm really not a tzaddik. He says, don't do the work for Hashem. Don't do work for Hashem. You stay tzaddik. You want to know why, you, why you're suffering? I'll tell you why you're suffering. Why are you suffering? Why am I suffering so all these years? My son wants to kill me. This one wants to kill. Everyone wants to kill me. My own people want to kill me. Why am I suffering so much? I do tefillin, Shabbat, tefillah, learn Torah nonstop. Why do I suffer so much? He says because you made a mitzvah. They shouldn't have made a mitzvah. You, one of your mitzvot, you shouldn't have made them. Mitzvah, you shouldn't have made. What mitzvah? You took a woman as a result of battle. Torah says if you go to battle. And you capture the woman. You kill the enemy. You take one of the women. Take one of the women. You're allowed to marry her. Torah says it. Torah says you're allowed to marry her. Allowed. Why is you did that? Because it's mitzvah, no? It's mitzvah in the Torah. It says if you have a woman in the battle, you're allowed to marry her. Convert her. You wait a, you wait a month. You let her uh, mourn her parents, mourn this, mourn that. You make her ugly. You still want her. You marry her, convert her. Everything's good. She converted. Jewish. She's not like a half a Jew. Real Jew. What's the problem? It's mitzvah from the Torah. But Hashem says, He only made this mitzvah not because you should do it. He made this mitzvah just to quiet the Satan. Just to quiet the Yetzirah. Because Hashem knows the Yetzirah, in battle, if you see a woman and you know that she's not allowed to you, and there's no way she's ever going to be allowed to you, you're going to make the sin. But if you're told in the Torah, listen, if you wait 30 days, you're allowed to be with her, you'll wait and you won't take it to right. You'll, you'll do it. 
But so even though it's a mitzvah from a Torah, who says he's supposed to do it? That's why the very following verse says, when it, after it says the mitzvah to go marry this woman, it says, but you should know, the very next verse, the sons you would have from this woman, ben sorer umoreg, can be a wayward son. You made a mitzvah, but the mitzvah is no good. Just because it says you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. That's why he's suffering all these years. No, Gemara says in Shabbat, anyone says that David HaMelech said for Bat Sheva, he's wrong. He didn't sin for Bat Sheva. It's a different, it's a different story. It's a different story. So now, the Maharal, the Retivot Olam, the Retiv, uh, several, several commentaries, Prey Yoshua, all say the same thing. Suffering is of Ava. Hashem is giving you suffering because He loves you. What does it mean He loves you? He says you're doing tshuva. I accept your tshuva. I accept it, but you made some sins in the past. I don't want you to suffer in Olam Abba. So I'm going to make you pay here. You're going to suffer a week here, a week there, a month here, a month there, an hour here, an hour there, five minutes here, five minutes there. But that's instead of five million years. Forty days, they went to Canaan. They came back, they reported news, took 40 seconds. Ami Sled suffered for 40 years. 40 years for 40 seconds of listening to Lashon Hara. 40 seconds, they said Lashon Hara about rocks. But rocks, they said Lashon Hara. Ami Sled listened, we suffered for 40 years. For 40 seconds. So imagine a sin bigger than Lashon Hara. Imagine someone makes a sin. It's not for 40 seconds. His whole life is a sin for 20 years of his life. He doesn't know the truth. What's this? 40 years? It's 20 million years. Gemara says in, uh, in uh, Rosh Hashanah, page 17, says the certain sinners, they don't do tshuva. Everything is subject to tshuva. You do tshuva, everything's going to be okay. Certain sinners, they don't do tshuva. If it's a mean, if it's a pikos, if it's a mechalel shabbat, the Mashiach can come. The world can end, but their genom will not end. So now, that rabbi heard, that rabbi heard about this genom for three days. He says, I don't want to go to genom for three days. But the same token, I don't want to do a gilgul. I don't want to, who knows what I'm going to do. So the Rashid Chochmah says, he says, okay, I'll go to genom. I'll go to Gehenom for three days. So now, in Shemaim, it's not uh, little weakling uh, cops with the uh, taser. In Shemaim, it's giant uh, beings. They come take them, three of them, they come take them, it's a very, very scary picture. It's, they, they give you the illusion where, where, where it looks like. It's very scary. They take him, and he starts getting closer and closer to the gate of Genom and he starts feeling the heat from the outside. Apparently, you could feel the heat of Genom from the outside. Shem I don't know what this means. Don't ask me what it means. All I know, he starts feeling, he starts feeling the pain from the outside. He starts getting scared. He says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I'm going to go do a Gilgul. He said, what do you mean do Gilgul? You already picked. You picked the side. He says, what do you think? This is a real world? You think it's a... Uh, the regular world, this is the real world here. It's Olam HaEmet. But because you have some schuyot, because you're a tzaddik, we're going to go ask Shamaim. They ask Shamaim. 
Shemaim says, okay, let him go for Gilgul. Better to come back for Gilgul for 70 years than go to Gainon for three days. Everybody's like, no, no, you only go for a year to, to Gainon. What's the big deal? Big deal. Three days he didn't want to go. Three days. How do we know? The, uh, the, uh, the, the Rashid Chochmah had a dream about this guy. He came to him in a dream. He came to him in a dream, told him everything. Came to him in a dream, told him everything that happens. So the Maharal says, huh? You lose all your mitzvot if you come back and make it good? Let's see what big rabbi now. You come back. No, you don't lose anything. You don't lose anything. You just. So what could you sacrifice coming back and make it good? Making more sins. New sins. You have a whole new life worth of, worth of Yetzirah. Not for two days, for 30 years. You have 70 years of Yetzirah now. Who knows if you're going to make worse sins than you made the first time. And you have to figure out what you have to fix. Right, you don't know. You don't remember your previous life. Yeah, yeah. What you say is... It's troubling? Don't say it. I don't want to say it now. Or is it scary? But truth, we started that. To read that, I want to. The Shit No, no, because I read some and it's scary. I, I stopped. I said, I don't, I don't want to go further. No, don't read. Don't, don't, don't read. Okay, because I read it. Don't read. Don't read. Don't read. Don't read. Don't read. Don't so first, first explanation is the Maharal says it's suffering from, suffering from love. What's the love? Hashem is trying to get you to pay for whatever sins you made in this world. Meaning, if you're losing money, you should say Baruch Hashem. Why? Anytime you lose money, instead of that, you're supposed to lose your life. Why? The Gemara says. Money is the equivalent of damim. Money is the equivalent of blood. Because people spend their whole life chasing money. So Hashem says, if I take money, it's like I gave them life again. So someone that's mechalil Shabbat, someone that made some type of sin, that Hashem was supposed to kill him for it. Torah says, you mechalil Shabbat if you're a Jew. Death penalty. Torah says, if you waste seed. Death penalty. Torah says, if you're homosexual. Death penalty. Torah says you do a lot of different things. It's death penalty. So Hashem doesn't want to kill you. He wants to give you a chance to do tshuva. So instead of killing you, He gives you more time, but He has to do something. Because Satan keeps knocking on the door and says, Hashem, He has to pay the bill. It's time for Him to pay the bill. He ordered the steak. He ordered the spaghetti. He ordered the salad. He ordered the hamburger. He ordered the shawarma. He ordered all these things. He has to, it's time for Him to pay. He has to pay the bill. Hashem says, okay, don't worry. I know He owes for the hamburger and the steak and the pizza and everything else. But, I'm going to give you a different payment. You take credit cards? That's money. That's money. That's money. Hashem takes your money. Somebody loses their money. Hashem. Why? It was supposed to be your life. It was supposed to be your life. So, that's one form of love that Hashem has. It's Chesed Hashem. Chesed Hashem. Rashi elaborates even further. It says, sometimes there are people that are ultra tzaddikim. And some people that are just too weak. There's certain people that are tzaddikim, and certain people that are just, they just are incapable. They're incapable of doing tshuva, they're incapable of helping themselves, they're doomed. 
So the tzaddikim decide to take the suffering for them, to give them more time, to give them more strength. So certain people, and there's not obviously not many people in a generation that can do that, but there's certain tzaddikim that throughout history have taken on the suffering for other people. Rabbi Zusha was one of them, and many and many of the Hasidim in previous generations, and previous tzaddikim in previous generations, would do such a thing, where they would actually suffer electively. Why? To take the deen for the whole generation. So that's another form of suffering. Because they benefit out of it, because as a result of their suffering, they're elevated to an even higher level of spirituality. So they suffer, but they also benefit out of it. Another way, another explanation for suffering by the Ran, the Ran explains, says, certain people, even if they're observing all of the mitzvot, even if they're not sinning some big sins, they still have a yetzerah, they can't, they can't overcome it. Yetzerah, some people have an addiction, addiction to gambling, addiction to sex, addiction to whatever, some type of uh, something. But this person's mamash trying to do his best. He's trying to do his best. And, but the person has an enormous amount of an addiction. He can't overcome it. The guy is addicted to wasting seed. The Rambam says, the Rambam says, it's the biggest form of addiction. What if you're addicted to wasting seed? It's the most difficult thing to overcome. It's very difficult. You can do it. Chairman's not going to give you a test you can't overcome. But it's the most difficult thing to overcome. It's very easy. So there's certain people that are addicted to certain sins. Certain people are addicted to money. Certain people, whatever it is. So if you're really trying to do tshuva, Hashem will give you suffering. Why? For your own protection. If someone, for Hashem Elohim, someone is, let's say, for example, wasting seed, Hashem Elohim, Hashem can give him certain suffering where he can't have an erection ever again. Or he can't have the ability to move. He loses the ability to move his entire lower body. Accident, there's no end to the amount of ways that Hashem could punish him. Uh, but it's not punishing him because of punishing him. He's punishing him for his own protection. Because he knows that without this sin, this person could be a tzaddik. So for your own protection, Hashem will give you suffering sometimes. So for example, someone is doing tshuva, but you know, he's chasing money, he's in the business world, he's in the market, he's in this, he's in that. He has a big meeting. Guy wants to do a deal with him for a million dollars, two million dollars, five million dollars, sell his company, sell a product, whatever it is. Hashem knows the guy he's about to meet is a criminal. Now he looks white collar, he looks like a tzaddik, he looks like he's rich, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. But in reality, he's a vulture. He's going to take your company from you without giving you any money. There's a lot of different ways you can cheat people. Unfortunately, there's many, many ways you can cheat people legally. And even if you're doing it illegally, by the time you figure out they cheated you, you can't do anything about it because to sue them, you need to have more money than them. So for example, insurance companies, they are known to be not insurance companies. They're known to be as big law firms. Law firms. They have a huge section of an insurance company. Has to be a legal department. Bigger than any other section of the company. Why? They have to come up with every excuse possible not to pay you. Insurance companies are not created to pay claims. That's not their job. Their job is to collect premiums. 
job is to collect premiums and find a way not to pay you back. If they paid back every single customer, it's not worth it for them to sell insurance. You're paying them 200 bucks a month. Even if you pay 200 bucks a month for a thousand years, it doesn't pay for them to pay you for one claim. Why? Because your claim is a million dollars. You bought a million dollars worth of insurance for 200 bucks a month. It's not worth it for them to pay you anything. If they could, if they could, they'd give you the cure to never die so they don't have to pay your life insurance. You know, in the business world, we had an insurance company, insurance agency, and uh, somebody tried to get us to go into this deal called Life Settlements. It's called Life Settlements. Life Settlements is a horrible, horrible business with... Thank you. Sorry. Uh, life settlements is a horrible business where, in essence, what you're trying to do is get people to buy insurance policies of people they don't know, pay the premium, and then get paid when that person dies. So, for example, guy is 70 years old. He doesn't really have any money, but he's 70 years old. Statistically, according to the statistic, he's supposed to die somewhere in the next six or seven years, let's say. Now, I think the statistics are even higher. I think the, the average age is over 80. But let's say in those years it was 76. That means that an investor, called an investor, all he has to do is buy an expensive insurance policy, pay for it for six years, and statistically, he's going to get all of his money back and more when the guy dies in six years. So the business, in theory, is that you as an investor, you don't know this guy, this old man, you have no idea, you have no idea who he is. But in theory, what you're supposed to do is go buy him an insurance policy. He signs the paperwork. He knows he's buying the policy. But he sells you the policy. So he, let's say he buys a $10 million policy. Now, he doesn't know how long he has to live. He thinks he's living for another hundred years. He doesn't know, but it doesn't matter. He's because I'm never gonna I'm never gonna get the ten million dollars. I'm gonna die. My family's gonna get ten million dollars. I'll sell it to you now for two million. I'll sell it for you for two million. All you have to do is pay the premium for the for however long I'm alive. So you're thinking, okay, so I gotta pay five thousand dollars a month for this policy plus two million dollars. So you do the math. $5,000 a month is 60000 a year. 60000 a year times six years is 360000 You invested $2 million, that's $2.36 million. You're going to get $10 million back, four times your money. Who's better than you? Great investment. Great investment. Horrible, horrible, unethical, illegal business. Horrible, horrible, unethical, illegal business. Why? By default, by default, in order for you to purchase a policy, you must have a vested interest in the life of the person. Meaning, if you're buying an insurance policy, you need to want the person to live. But if you're an investor in a policy, you want him to die tomorrow. You don't want to pay the bill every month. So meaning the more he lives, the worse your investment performs. But some heroes decide to beat the system. And what do they do? They sell the policy without telling the insurance company. So they sell the guy the policy. The old man gets $2 million. What does he care? He's got his $2 million in his pocket. 
The guy that bought the policy, he doesn't care. He doesn't need to know who the insurance company is, who anything is. He's just paying. He's thinking, when the guy dies, I'm collecting a $10 million check. Right? That's what he thinks. This became a big business. What ended up happening? They ended up buying a bunch of policies, and then they sold the policies as a fund. As a fund. Now what happened? Eventually, people started dying. And the insurance company's not stupid. They went, who are we paying? Are we paying his family? No. Are we paying his neighbor? No. Who are we paying before we write the check for $10 million? We have to make, who do we make it payable to? Now you have a problem because the, you have to make it payable to, to the fund. You have to make it payable to an entity that did not have a vested interest in his life. Insurance company says, you violated the insurance policy, you're not getting a penny. Denied claim for death. For death, you're not even going to get paid. They found a way to not even pay you for death. Now, they're right. in this particular case, they're right. In this particular case, they're right. The vast majority of cases, they're wrong. For example, when I had my uh, surgery, I had a big disability policy, and uh, we filed a claim. We're supposed to get, uh, at the time I was making a lot of money, I was supposed to get like $100,000 or $130,000 a month for the rest of my life, as long as I'm disabled. They denied my claim. After six months of research, they denied my claim. Why? They said, you're a one in a million case. It's not possible that what happened to you happened to you. So if you want to get the money, you have to sue us. We're just not paying it. This is not a, this is a statistical impossibility. They just outright told me, we're not paying you. If you want to sue us, sue us. We're not paying you. It's not, the doctor himself wrote a letter for me. He goes, this happened to you. I, I, you know, I'm there. He's having surgeries. He's this. We're not paying why? It's a one in a zillion case. So, that's the job of an insurance company. Thieves. Thieves, thieves. That's business. That's business, my friend. It's not olama emet. It's olama shekel. It's not the real world. Real world is olama ba. This world is world of lies. So, a person needs to understand, if he's going to invest in the world of lies, he's only going to get lies back. He's not going to get truth back. So, the Ran and uh, many others are talking about how some people are going to see that some people are mamash helpless. They're just destroying their lives. They're going to take kaparat avonot on themselves. And then there's the ultra tzaddik. The ultra tzaddik knows the value of Torah. But even more so, he knows the value of Torah, mi ones, meaning mi, mi, uh, from, from suffering. We talked about this recently a little bit. So the Tzlach HaKadosh says there are certain people that elect to suffer. We talked about before the lecture, there's several stories about some of the sages. This is in the Gemara, in several other places. Sorry if I'm disgusting anyone. My nose just is running. Uh, two weeks I'm sick. But kaparat avonot, kaparat avonot. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Take, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm, kap, I'm pure kaparat avonot. I mean avonot. I have to do tshuva. What can I do? But Baruch Hashem, Hashem is giving me, giving, accepting my tshuva. So anyway, it's embarrassing me in front of people. I have to touch my nose. You do avonot. That's what happens. Hashem embarrasses you. So certain people take on themselves because they know that the value of Torah. Through suffering 
is exponentially higher. So there's a story in the Gemara of uh, Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina was very, very poor, and his wife says, go get money. We have no food, we have no nothing. But Rabbi Hanina never prayed for money. First time in his life he prayed for money. He says the entire generation was eating, getting parnasah because of Rabbi Hanina, but Rabbi Hanina bni, my son Rabbi Hanina, he himself doesn't have any money, doesn't have any food. First time in his life he prayed for money, prayed for parnasah. He had so many merits in Shemaim that they literally, a golden, you know, there's a table has four legs. In Olam Abba, apparently there's a golden table waiting for him. They gave him one of the legs, one of the golden legs of this table came out of Shemaim. Came out of Shemaim. Miracle. He brings it home with groceries and everything. His wife says, where, where, where'd you get this from? Tells her the story. He goes, absolutely not. Go return it. We return it. Hashem made a miracle. Open the sky for me. Open the sky for me. Gold came out from the sky. I'm going to go return it. What kind of good spy is this? If Hashem opened the sky. Hashem even do anything. That, that showed me something, a miracle, uh, I'm already going to tell you on TV right now. I'm going to tell you, hey guys, I'm a tzaddik, Moshe Rabbein of the generation. I'll tell him, th- he told me, thank you, the guy made a video about it. It's, the, guy, the guy says, you know, he's going to make a YouTube video about it. Shem opened the sky for you? So, what does Rabbi Hanina's wife say? Return it. Return it. Let me go ask my Rav. He's not like us. Everything he says, he has to go ask his Rav. Who's a Rav? Rabbi. Rabbi Udanasi. Gdolado. He goes to Rabbi, says, Rabbi, this is what happened. I got a miracle. Ta, 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 ta. Finally, I have Panasa. Rabbi says to him, Tell your wife, she has nothing to worry. She's worried about you losing out of your merits in Olamaba. She's, she's afraid. That because you got to benefit from this world, you're going to lose out of Olam Abba. So tell her, if you're missing anything in Olam Abba, I'll give you my share. I'll give it for me. So Rabbi Hanina goes back to his wife. He says, honey, good news. You know the dream that you had where we went to Olam Abba together and we had the golden table but only had three legs. So you were scared that we're, we're going to miss out on something, we're getting paid for Olam by here, so that's why you want me to return it. Good news. My rabbi is such a tzaddik, he says, if we're missing something, he'll give us something. He'll give us out of his share. Good or no good? Gdoladom, Rabbi Udanasi, says to you, I'll pay your bill. What do you care? What do you care? He's a tzaddik. Bichanina's wife says, Tell Rebbe, tell Rebbe, tell Rebbe, Rabotai, tell Rebbe, tell him he cannot write a check that he cannot cash. Tell him not to write a check that he can't cash. He says, You tell him. <laughs> they go together to Rebbe. Talk, talk to Rebbe. I'm not talking to my Rebbe. <laughs> Says Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe Kadosh, you cannot write a check you can't cash, you cannot pay us something you don't have. 
you, Rabbi Akadosh, Rabbi Anasi, you come from the Rabban Gamliel family. You come from David Melech. You are rich. You never studied in your life out of the suffering like my husband. My husband his entire life has been suffering. My, life, my husband has been suffering his entire life in poverty. Your Torah and his Torah cannot be compared. Rabbi says, Tzadkamimeni. She's right. Rabbi says she's right. Rabbi says she's right. Why? Value of your Torah from suffering, different world from someone that's not suffering. That's why the Tzadikim, the Tzadikim, the Tzlach HaKadosh says, they ask for suffering. They get sick, Bauch Hashem. Stomach cake, Bauch Hashem. Go to the bathroom five hours. At least I have another four hours that I'm out of the bathroom to study. You understand? So, here we have a little bit of explanations. A little bit of explanations of different forms of suffering. Why we suffer. Gemara continues in 5a and says, Vim kiblam mascharo, ela shetalmudo mitkayem beyado. If someone accepts this suffering with love, Shem gives him suffering, gives him flat tire, gives him money problems, gives him this problem, that problem, all suffering. No suffering's fun. You never get used to suffering. I'm a professional in suffering. You never get used to it. Baruch Hashem, I have a degree in suffering. Baruch Hashem, you never get used to it. It always renews itself. It's always like the first time. It's always like all the suffering before was worthless next to the suffering you have right now. It's everything in the past is irrelevant. Why? Because you don't remember suffering. You remember now. Now, I'm suffering, everything is the worst. Not suffering, everything is great. Suffering is the moment. You, when you're suffering, you are convinced it will never be over. When you have a toothache, when you have a headache, when you have a footache, when you have a heartache, you are convinced this pain will never go away. When someone broke your heart, you feel like death. Why? It's never going to go away. When you lost money, you feel like, I'm always going to be broke. When you lost a job, when you failed a test, when you just did anything bad in life and you feel bad about it, either physically or emotionally, you can easily be convinced by the Satan, this is permanent. This will never change. That's suffering. But the reality is, is that suffering is temporary. Just like this world is temporary. This world is temporary. And so is your suffering. And you have two ways to treat the suffering. You have two options. You only have two options. You don't have three options. There's no gray in suffering. There's no gray. You could either suffer in misery, cry about it, get depressed about it, Talk about it to everyone else and tell them how miserable you are because of it and how you can't move on because of it. 
and how everything is bad because of it, and you can't even taste food anymore because of the suffering you have, and you can't even do this, you can't move on because of the suffering you have, because you feel the suffering is never going to go away, but in reality, it's you're creating it. You are now creating further suffering because you're not moving on. You're not moving on. You're not trying to make it better. And you're actually making it worse because of your reaction, which is becoming a domino effect. Little by little, you are now convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, this is indeed permanent. My original fear has come to life. I feared it will be permanent originally. That's why I cried. Now it is permanent. Someone lost their money. The stock didn't go good. The company didn't go good. They thought they're always going to be broke. After six months, the next business they tried didn't go good. Now like, ah, see, I'm going to be broke forever. I'm going to be homeless in six months. I'm going to be the world. I'm going to be like the guy on TV that you know killed himself. I'm going to jump off a bridge. Uh, you started creating stories in your head. Life is the worst. Satan has convinced you this is permanent. That's one way to take suffering. Many people, most people, the overwhelming majority of people take suffering that way. That's why people kill themselves. This is why famous singers, like for example, the um, Linkin Park lead singer, the guy had five or six kids, I think he was married twice, had more money than he can count, a prospering career, even though the career wasn't exactly the most kosher career in the world. Nonetheless, he had a, in his world, in his world's definition, he was the epitome of success. But unfortunately, one of his most famous songs has a lyrics that say, I've become so numb. When you read some of the things he wrote about him, you know, he said in interviews, is that the reality is that most people mistranslated what he said. Meaning, they think, I've become so numb, sounds good, it rhymes, maybe it's because my girlfriend, his girlfriend broke up with him, maybe it's because it's a, uh, has, whatever, people translate songs the way they, lyrics the way they want to translate it. In reality, he was talking about his drug addiction his drug addiction that he was dealing with for many, many years. And he was talking about the fact that he's done so many drugs that even the high no longer affects him. Like he doesn't even have the pleasure part. And that's actually one of the worst forms of punishment that Hashem can give a person in this world. When someone drowns themselves in their own desires, whether that would be sex or money or drugs or whatever else there is in this world, they could literally get to a point of becoming numb. And we talked about it after the shiur last night, Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev said that those that are arrogant eventually become the homosexuals. Why? The arrogant is arrogant because he believes that he's entitled to more. He wants more than what he's entitled for. So even when it comes to intimacy, one woman is not enough. 
He wants two and three and four and five and a new one every week. And eventually he gets to a point where a woman, the pleasure that you get from being with a woman is not enough for him. He doesn't, he's numb. He's numb. He's had so many, so much, so, he's, he's lived it. He's numb. He needs something new. He becomes homosexual. This is why many in Hollywood and that world eventually become homosexuals. This is also why eventually even homosexuality is not enough and many of them become pedophiles. There is a big hidden secret in Hollywood today that's as disgusting as can be. That there's a pedophilia ring in Hollywood. But unfortunately, there's even something worse that hasn't been talked about in the news. Apparently, there's a pedophilia ring in, the, in America in general that's run by bigwigs from everywhere, including government. You can call me conspiracy theories, you can call me whatever you want. There's actually a person we know that's there. And apparently, they, this is a, there's, there's like kidnapping involved here. It's not like a, uh, it gets worse. Sodom and Gomorrah is alive and well, in so many words. Sodom and Gomorrah is alive and well. Reason why someone that can literally get any woman he wants goes to an extent of wanting to be with some harmless, innocent, 12-year-old little boy, 12-year-old little girl, never made a sin in her life, never said a bad word in her life, never did anything wrong in her life. What do you want with this 10-year-old girl? What do you want with this little kid? What is wrong with you? Why do you want something with someone so small that doesn't even have the choice to decide? Doesn't even know the difference between right and wrong. Why? You've become numb. You've become numb. You've made so many sins, you've become numb. Such a person, their Gehenom never ends. Never. Never. That's what the Gemara is written about. So... Suffering that people have, unfortunately, is awful. You can choose to make it worse. You have a drug addiction to marijuana, make it worse by doing heavier drugs. You lost your job, you start doing drugs. You lost your wife, you start you know, being promiscuous. You do that. People can make their life much worse as a result of the way they act towards suffering. One relationship goes bad, everything goes wrong. In the gambling world of poker, the way that the professionals that you see, that I keep telling you are the, uh, the biggest losers in the world in real life, but in poker, in the game of poker, they have one expertise. All of them that are professionals have one common talent that you must have. You must have as a professional poker player. You must have the ruthless ability to be patient enough to take advantage of other people's mood swings. Meaning, you're waiting for the other, for your competition to lose a small hand or do something that happens to him or her to lose their cool and then they make a stupid decision. Usually this happens 
in regular life, same way as it happens in poker. Somebody is showing up late to work, he ends up punching his car. Punches his car, he breaks the window. He breaks the window, he also breaks his hand. So being late to work to a meeting for three minutes just cost him three days in the hospital. Somebody cut him off, he decides to speed, gets into a car accident, can lose both of his legs. Small little tilts, small little mistakes, somebody could lose their world. That's because they don't want to accept suffering. They don't want to accept suffering. They feel they should not suffer. The Gemara says, Vim kibla mascharo, if he accepts the suffering with love, what's his reward? What's the point? Why should I accept it with love? He will see his offspring live long days. First and foremost, you should know, your kids will have a long life. Why is that even important? The highest level of punishment in the world, whether it's punishment for love or punishment for sin, whichever form of suffering it is, the highest level of suffering in this world, according to the Torah, is a person seeing his sons and daughters die before him. A person seeing his own children die during his life. Apparently this is the highest level of suffering there is. More than any broken heart, more than any lost money, more than any disease, more than anything. So first and foremost says you accept your suffering with a smile, you say, Baruch Hashem, I know Hashem has my, Hashem has my interest. There's a, there's a benefit here. Why? Maybe I made a sin and I'm paying for it now. Maybe it's because He's raising me to a new level. Whatever, there's something good that has to come out of it. I accept it with love. I trust Hashem. He has my best interest. You accept it with love. He says, first and foremost, you should know, your kids taken care of. They have long lives, Mr. Hashem. One. And not only that, but he will retain his studies. Why did he want, why did he take this suffering on himself? Because he's living a life of Torah. The only way you could ever get to a point of accepting suffering with love is with Torah. Only way. You can never accept suffering with love without Torah. You can never. Because without Torah, you still don't know what the purpose of life is. Which means that the Torah is very valuable to you. And therefore, the Gemara says, if you're accepting your suffering, everything with love, everything that you've had in Torah, you'll fulfill it, you'll keep it, it'll be with you permanently. All the benefits, all the merits, all the studies, everything you have will stay with you. You're never going to lose it. It becomes a permanent gift. So, here, we see something extraordinary. But yet, in a Gemara, on page 7, we see that Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem the difficult question. Really the question that this Mishnah is about. In Exodus, chapter 33, verse 19, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm sorry, not this one. 
משה רבנו asks השם, הרני נא את כבודיך, show me, show me your honor, show me your glory. Meaning, explain to me why the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. If the righteous suffer only because Hashem is elevating them, that's one form of explanation. If the wicked prosper only because Hashem is paying them right now, like it says at the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, that's, that's explanation. It's, it's valid. So why is Moshe Rabbeinu still asking it? Surely Moshe Rabbeinu knew the entire Torah. Why is he still asking it? Even more so. Why is Jeremiah chapter 12 verse 1 asking the same exact question after he had the entire Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu? Jeremiah says, How long Hashem will I cry out and you not hear me? I'm sorry, that was David Amedech. Jeremiah says, You're righteous, Hashem. Though I may express a grievance to you, but I will speak with you of judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why are all the betrayers tranquil? Jeremiah is asking Hashem, Look at these Rashaim, the Buchanetzer, destroying the Bet HaMikdash, killing millions and millions of Jews by the week made the Holocaust look like nothing. Many more people died in the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Why are you letting them prosper? If you're just punishing us, because we're Rishayim, because we didn't follow Torah, that's one thing. But why are they prospering? Kill both of us at least. Why are they, look at how they're celebrating, destroying the Beit HaMikdash, they're celebrating inside. Why are you letting them prosper? If you want to punish us, okay, there's plenty of ways to punish us. There's plagues, there's diseases, there's whatever. Why do you let the enemy say, where's your God? Why? Why? Jeremiah, Kodesh Kodeshim, comes to Hashem, complains to him. Why? But we said we had an answer. David Melech. How long, Hashem, will I cry out and you not hear me? Davina Melech's complaining to Hashem. How long will I cry out to you regarding the injustice and you not save? Why do you allow me to see iniquity? And you look at evil deeds with robbery and injustice before me. While the one who carries strife and contention still remains. That is what Torah, why Torah is weakened Hashem. He's telling Hashem, you're causing Chilul Hashem. You're desecrating your own name. People see tzaddikim suffering, stomach aches, leg aches, headaches, no money, death in the family, Shem Yachim, all types of suffering. All the secular people are saying, look, why should I be religious? Why should I, look, he studied Torah his whole life. His whole life he studied Torah, he's still suffering. Why? Why should I study Torah then? David Melech, David Melech is coming to Hashem. He's saying, why should anybody study Torah? Look what you're doing, Hashem. I know we have to study Torah, he says. But look what you're doing. You're causing Chilul Hashem. Habakkuk. Same thing. Shlomo Melech, same thing. 
They're all asking the same question. In Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, Shlomo Melech says this at least five, six times. Righteous suffer, wicked prosper. Doesn't make sense. But we just said we had an answer. We had five answers. I gave you an hour and a half. I'm talking to you about five different answers. Why are they asking the same question? What do you have here? Okay, let's see. Let's 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 do some cheshbon. Let's do cheshbon. Bo le cheshbon. So the Torah says bo le cheshbon. Let's do accounting. What's accounting Torah means? Let's do tshuva. Let's see what kind of sins we really have. Let's see what kind of mitzvah we really have. The mitzvah was a really mitzvah. Was a mitzvah from the Satan. You made a mitzvah, but really it's not such a mitzvah. You know, some people they make mitzvot, but often they didn't do anything at all. With mitzvah like this, don't do any mitzvot. Let's do accounting. What do we have here? Someone suffers. We had accounting. It could be suffering for kapa'at avonot, for sins that he made in this life or previous life. It could be as a result of a gilgul. You made a sin in a previous life. Someone used to be with married women in his previous life, gets a horrible wife in this life. Someone used to steal in his previous life, people steal from him in this life. Someone used to be a womanizer in a previous life, in this life he's confused of what he is, Bechlal. All types of things. There's no such thing as suffering without sin. Must be something. So it could be previous life. Could be previous life before tshuva, meaning same life, just before you did tshuva. If you haven't done tshuva, then we're not talking to you. Because right now, if you haven't done tshuva, you're lucky you're still alive. Someone's mechalel Shabbat should know. According to the Torah, you should be dead. Torah says, Mechalel Shabbat, Mot Yumat. Meaning, Hashem gives a death penalty. Gemara says, but that was in the days of the Sanhedrin. It's the days of Sanhedrin. They saw Mechalel Shabbat. Witnesses try to stop him. He didn't stop. They killed him. That's it. No, no questions asked. No, hey, listen, he's a really nice guy. We shouldn't kill him. Maybe, uh, maybe he'll stop next week. Nothing like that. Mamash, nothing like that. So, the Torah asks, in Tana Yaw, the first Mechalel Shabbat, why did, he, why did he violate Shabbat? The Mekashesh Eitzim, the, the, the one, Slovchad. Why? Why did he violate Shabbat? Why did he violate Shabbat? So Hashem asked Moshe. Hashem asked Moshe. Moshe is telling him, Hashem, look at this guy, he just violated Shabbat. Eliyahu Navi writes in his book, this is Eliyahu Navi. Eliyahu Navi writes in his book, Hashem comes to Moshe, he goes, do you know why he violated Shabbat? Why did he violate Shabbat? Moshe, you know? Moshe, this is the relationship Hashem had with Moshe. Oh, better yet, Moshe had with Hashem. We pray to Hashem, he doesn't answer. Moshe, Hashem is asking him questions. 
Eliyahu Anabi says, Moshe, why did Slovchad, why did the Mekashesh Eitzim, the, the, the one that gathers trees, why did he violate Shabbat? Do you know? Moshe says, I don't know. He says, I'll tell you, Moshe. Six days a week, a Jew ties tefillin on his arm. Because this is a reminder to stay away from sins. This is a reminder to not make sins. Why? Because every day you tie tefillin, you have two brits. You have the brit milah, you have the brit of the tefillin. But on Shabbat, we don't tie tefillin. So on Shabbat, Slovchad didn't have anything to remind him not to do sins. Didn't have anything to remind him not to do sins. He didn't do tefillin. He only had the Brit Milah. It's not enough. It's not enough. He needs something else. That's why he violated Shabbat. And that's the reason why Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu right after Tzlovchad, Dabir l'bnei Yisrael v'amarta alem v'asu lahem tzitzit. From now on, we have a new mitzvah. Mitzvah you do every day. Seven days a week. What? You wait tzitzit. Lama? So you're not follow what your eyes are telling you to do or what your heart is telling you to do. No more mechalel Shabbat if you if you if you wear tzitzit. Anyone not wearing tzitzit, have tzitzit with me. You can have them free. So that's what we see in Sefer Bamidbar right after the Tzlovchad violates Shabbat first time. We see mitzvah tzitzit. Little boys, big boys. Older boys, old, young, all Jews have to wait to see. Why? Remind you not to sin. Gemaraim Masechet Shabbat, page 32. Amarek Resh Lakish. Kol hazair b'tzitzit zocheu meshamshim lo shne alafim ushmone meot avadim. Resh Lakish says, whoever is very careful with tzitzit, meaning, always wear tzitzit. No, I wear it only in the house, but not outside. No, I wear it sometimes when it's not so hot outside. No, I... So no one sees. Someone's careful with tzitzit, meaning he's proud of his tzitzit. He doesn't want to let it go. He feels bad to take it off, to take a shower. He wants to wear tzitzit all the time. You don't have to wear it to go to sleep, but it's meritorious to wear it. Nonetheless, you have to wear it. Someone that's careful, what, what's his, what's his schal? What's his benefit? Resh Lakish asks. What does he get? The Navi says, he shall merit to have 2,800 servants that are going to cater to him. As it's written in Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 23. In those days it shall come to pass that ten men from all of the languages of the nations shall take hold. And they shall take a hold of the corners of his garments of a Jewish person, saying, We will go with you. Meaning the righteous Gentiles from the 70 nations, 10 representatives of each one of the 70 nations, meaning 700 for each corner of Tzitzit. How many corners does Tzitzit have? Four corners. 700 times 4, 2,800. 
Each Jew wearing tzitzit gets 2,800 full-time employees, full-time students, full-time servants, full-time people that are there to do whatever he wants. But there is Talmidim. He has to treat them well. It's not like uh, Avadim. It's not Avadim. Only when Mashiach comes. Only when Mashiach comes. Only. Only. Only when Mashiach comes. Only. Only when Mashiach comes. So now you have, you have a situation where Hashem says you have a benefit in this world. What's the benefit in the next world? <coughs> the Arizal <coughs> cried on his deathbed. They said, Kol Arab, why are you crying? He says, I'm going to a world where if I sold all of my schuyot for all the Torah I ever learned, all of the schuyot, Arizal, Kodesh Kodeshim, all of the schuyot I ever had, I can't do one mitzvah with it. Whatever I have is what I have. But here I'm leaving a world where I can do a mitzvah every single second I'm alive for the cost of a sandwich. What mitzvah? Tzitzit. For the cost of a sandwich, you get tzitzit. Every second you wear it's mitzvah. All of the mitzvot I ever made can't give me one of those mitzvot. Again, one second in this world in Olam Abba. That's what kind of world I'm leaving. So anyone that hasn't, is still doubting, titi doesn't understand, should wear it. But this is only for Jews. Non-Jews are not allowed to wear tzitzit. And the reason why is because it makes you look Jewish. You can't make yourself look Jewish if you're not Jewish. Unless you're in the process of conversion. But even if you're in the process of conversion, if you're going to, if you're serious in the process of conversion, you're allowed to wear tzitzit, but you have to keep it inside, not outside. Why? Because you don't want to get to a point where... A woman that uh, is a Jewish woman is looking for a mate. She sees you or someone sees you and thinks you're Jewish. And then you have the test of admitting you're not yet a Jew. This happens many times where people that are in the process of converting. Satan sends them a messenger. Satan tries to throw him a curveball. So he gives them an opportunity to get a new girlfriend that's Jewish. And a new girlfriend that's Jewish is everything they've been looking for their whole life. They're very excited that a Jewish woman wants to be with them. They're very excited that they could get married. They're very they're so excited they forget they're not Jewish yet. <laughs> so they tell, yeah, sure, I'm getting to get married. We're gonna have kids. We're gonna have this. We're gonna have this. They already start dating three, four, five, six months. Everything is great, and they forget. Oh, I'm not Jewish yet. I'm not Jewish yet. Now you tell the girl you're already in. She already fell in love with the guy. This is why when you're a religious Jew, you have to go through the shiduch system. You can't just go date somebody that looks nice and sounds nice. You have to go through the shiduch system because you get easily get into trouble. Unfortunately, today, it's almost become difficult to determine who's even Jewish. I met a wonderful person today, wonderful, wonderful person, yesterday and today, uh, sent me some messages. Baruch Hashem, she learning mitzvot, she is mamash, doing everything right. Everything right, she's going in the right direction. And her last name is Cohen. Cohen. So a lot of people's last name is Cohen. So you won't know who I'm talking about. Her last name is Cohen. Really, really nice person. She's dating someone. 
seems like a nice person too. I don't know, I haven't spoken to him yet, but usually nice people tend to be with nice people. And they're serious about Hashem, they're trying to learn. They love Rav Mizrahi. They like some of my shulim as well. Oh, Hashem. So they need some help. What's the help? What help does a Kohen need for me? What help? Need help to be Jewish. Why? She's not Jewish. A Kohen is not Jewish. You understand? Now, I don't know how it, you know, if she thought she was Jewish her whole life and then she realized not. I don't know how stuff like this happens and how you discover it, but the point I'm trying to say is that today it's very, very difficult to determine who's Jewish and who's not based on name, based on looks, based on anything. So you have to be very, very careful. But Baruch Hashem, she has the merit of Bezad Hashem that she's going to become a Jew very soon. But nonetheless, not everybody has that merit. A lot of people live their life thinking they're a Jew their whole life and just find out that they're not. So when you see... Nice people like this find out they're not Jewish. This is a form of suffering. Why does such a nice person suffer? What did she do? The mistake was made by her father, not her. It's not her fault. The mistakes were made before she was born. How could this be? We had answers. Two hours we're talking about we have answers. It could be Kapat Avonot. It could be for a previous Gilgul. It could be because of suffering of previous things in previous life. It could be from because you're adding it to yourself for the whole generation. You're ultra tzaddik. It could be you're adding it to yourself because Hashem is trying to protect you. You're such a big sinner on something that Hashem says the only way to stop you is to cut it off completely. The only way you're going to stop gambling is if I take away all your money. The only way you're going to stop, uh, you know... Looking at women is this chas he takes away your eyes. It could be. Or it could be someone asks Hashem for help. Says Hashem, I want to get to Rabbi Akiva level. I want to get to Rabbi Hanina level. I want to suffer. Could be. If these are the answers, why is Moshe Rabbeinu? Jeremiah, Shlomo Melech, David Melech, Habakkuk. Everybody's asking the same question. Because of this answer. Rabotai. Rabotai. Because of this answer. Rabbi Anay Omer. En biyadenu lo mishalvat arashayim. Ve'aflo miyusurei tzadikim. It's not in our power to explain the tranquility of the wicked or the suffering of the righteous. Tachles, bottom line, we don't know. Why? It could be, it could be one of the things I mentioned to you. It could be because of Gigul. It could be because of what you did in the past. It could be, it could be all of those things, some of those things, one of those things, but it doesn't have to be. Why? We cannot understand God. If you could understand God, you would be God. Now most people come to me and they say, where was God during the Holocaust? I say, he was pressing the buttons. Why? That's what he wrote in the Torah. If you make sense, he punishes you. This is not hard to explain. What's hard to explain? It's hard to explain is that certain people got away with it. 
That's hard to explain. The guy's a Nazi, he killed Jews, he did bad things, but he got away with it. How? That's hard to explain. Certain people with tzaddikim, tzaddikim, kodesh, kodesh kodeshim, got tortured, annihilated, killed, had kids die. That's hard to explain. It's kodesh kodeshim. Why is he dead? Why does kids die? That's hard to explain. Why is a sin get punished? That's easy to explain. Why does September 11th happen? It's easy to explain. Sinners in the world make sins. You get kapat. That's easy. You don't even have to be tzaddik. You don't even have to learn a lot of Torah. It's very easy. You learn. Parashat Bechukotai, Parashat Kitavo, Parashat Azinu. All the entire book of Leviticus, the entire book of Deuteronomy. You learn Torah. It's easy to say. You make sins. You get punished. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no big chokhmah. There's no chidush. What's the, what's the difficult part? You see someone doing all the right things and then he gets hurt. Why? The guy is doing all the wrong things and then he gets hurt. Why? Chazal is here to tell us. We don't know. Why don't we know? Because there are things that are beyond human comprehension. Beyond. I'll give you an example. Everyone always thinks that they can understand God. No, if I was God, I would do something different. I wouldn't let this happen. I wouldn't let this rapist get away with it. I wouldn't let this murderer get away with it. I wouldn't let these bad people get away with it. I would, as if they got away with it. Like as if they got away from Hashem. Like they did it and Hashem didn't write off. Let them do it. As if Hashem is not the one pressing the buttons. As if their actions are a different entity from Him. Everything and anything happening in the world is because Hashem is pressing the buttons. Allowed, not allowed. Go, stop. Go, stop. Do not enter. Enter. Nothing in the world happens without Hashem signing off. Go. Nothing. You cannot even get a leaf to fall from a tree without Hashem saying you're allowed to fall off the tree. You cannot get a thought, a thought to become clear to you in your mind without Hashem allowing that thought to work. Every single cell in your body needs Hashem's authorization to work. If one of them gets a do not work notice, you can easily lose the ability to breathe. You can easily lose the ability to see. You can easily lose the ability to function. One cell, I'm not talking about an entire body part. One cell out of trillions and trillions of cells. Everyone has to get a notice from Hashem. Nothing works without Him. So, how could this be? Why does He allow this to happen? Because Hashem runs the world in a, with an intellect that's divine. And for us to understand it is impossible. So an example of how you can't understand Hashem is can you imagine a moment? I'm not even talking about a lifetime. I'm not talking about a long span of time. I'm not talking about even a day. 
I'm talking about a moment. A moment. Can you imagine a moment without time? A moment without time. Better yet, can you imagine a concept of no time? No time. Not having time, not being bound to time. Everything you do is bound to time. As a human being, no time, not having time, is not something you can comprehend as a human being. Because everything you do is bound to time. Sleep is bound to time. You'll sleep a certain amount of time. Being awake is a certain amount of time. Thoughts are time. Everything is bound, it's connected to time because it's, it's material. It's this world. Hashem invented time for you. Meaning, He Himself does not have time. His world, His being, His whatever it is, is beyond time. There is no time. There is no time for Hashem. This means that five minutes ago, five hours ago, 5,000 years ago, 5,000 years from now, five minutes from now, five weeks from now, whatever time you can imagine, all of them together to Hashem, right now at this moment, is all the same. Meaning He's living all of them now. He sees all of them now. There is no before, there's no past, present, or future for Him. Can you imagine such a thing? Your brain will start smoking and eventually stop functioning because it's not possible. So if you can't even understand the simple concept of no time, how do you expect to understand God? This is just one trait. This is just one thing. Tiny, tiny, microscopic thing that He has. This is not like a, the biggest feature it's endless. It's just a tiny thing. Can you imagine, can you imagine having a cup, cup of water, taking a cup of water, and you take the cup of water, or maybe better yet, a bottle of water, and you pour it all over your shirt. It's hot outside. Now, moments later it becomes really cold. So now, the shirt is wet. And being cold is not fun with a wet shirt. So, you go, you change shirts, but you want to dry the shirt. Your dryer doesn't work. You want to dry it outside. How long does it take to dry outside? It could take a little while. It could take a few hours. Depends on the sun. Right? Now, your understanding, so, so if it's hard to dry the shirt, it takes a few hours based on the sun. If you just wanted to evaporate all of that water in the cup, it would take even longer. If you want to evaporate not just a cup of water, but you want to evaporate an entire lake, take even longer. If you want to evaporate an entire ocean, even longer. According to us, that's not even imaginable to evaporate an entire ocean. What if I tell you that 
this very same God has an angel that runs the sun. And if he tells the angel, hey angel, why don't you get a little bit closer? How much is a little bit? One degree closer. One degree, not 500 degrees. One degree, one degree closer to earth. All of the water on earth disappears almost instantaneously. Not hours, not days, not weeks, not months. Instantaneously, as if it's a word out of my mouth. One degree. That same sun that right now would take hours to dry a shirt. Hours. One degree closer, the ocean, which is 73% of the world, will evaporate in a moment. Disappear. Gone. No water. All life on earth disappears. Can you imagine such a thing? This is an angel. One of the small angels that works for God. Who doesn't function with his own independence. He has to follow orders that God tells him. It's an angel of God. Can you understand such a thing? It's beyond our comprehension. This is stuff that's beyond us. Every one of you has proteins in your body. Every one of these proteins has to fold. But they have to fold in a precise way. If they fold, if one of these trillions upon trillions of proteins folds incorrectly, instead of folding like this, it goes a little bit to the right. Like, you know, women fold their shirts neatly. Men just crumble their shirts. So imagine not even crumbling the shirt. It's just like, you know, a little to the right. A little to the right. If one of these proteins, trillion, you have trillions of them, trillion more. Can you count to a trillion? Can anybody here say, I can count to a trillion? Do you know how long it would take you to count to a trillion? Do you know how long it would take to count the population of China? If you actually had to count, if they all lined up a line, somebody actually did the math. They all lined up a line, one after another. Like, you know, a line, like when people, there's a new iPhone coming out. <laughs> It's a new iPhone coming out and all of China lines up. Do you know how long it would take to count how many of them there is? 41 years. 41 years it would take to count 1.5 billion people. 41 years to count 1.5 billion people. Because they would keep giving birth to more and more people and so on and so forth. So can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine counting a billion and a half people? Can you imagine counting to a trillion? These are not even things that we can comprehend. And they're not even even servants of Hashem. They're not even traits of Hashem. These are traits in the world He created. It's like a breath you breathed 50 years ago. It's something that was a non-event. It's a forgotten thought. It's like a toy you picked up and put down when you were a little baby 30, 40, 50 years ago. You don't remember it. You, don't, you didn't remember it when you did it. It's a non-event. These are things that are not even his servants. These are just things he has. And you can't understand them. How do you expect to understand why he does what he does? So yes, he gave us some chokhmah that, yeah, we can put a little taste here. It could be this, it could be that, it could be a few things. 
in reality, we don't know. And that's why Hashem says, Machshevotai lo machshevotechem. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. You are human. When Moshe Rabbeinu says to Hashem it Barach, Hashem, Areni night kvodecha, show me your honor. What does it mean, show me your honor? What does it mean, show me your honor? Show me why you do what you do. Hashem responds to him, you're not going to be able to see my face and live. What does it mean you're not going to be able to see my face and live? You're not going to be able to understand what I'm doing while I'm doing it. You're only going to be able to see my back. What's my back? Things I've already completed. After I've completed it, then you'll understand why I did it. After I completed the life of Noah, you'll understand why I did what I did with Noah. Because really, Noah is Moshe Rabbeinu. And Noah is a Yilgul of Evel. Kain and Evel. Perfect soul. Tamim Tiyeim Hashem. Ish Tzadik Tamim. What's Ish Tzadik Tamim? Complete person. How could you be complete person? There's no Torah. Because your previous Gilgul as Evel, you lived a short life before Cain killed you, not long enough to make any sins. You're completely sinless. But because you didn't rebuke the people and tell them, hey, you got to do tshuva, don't just build a boat, go rebuke people. Now you have to come back in the Gilgul. Why Moshe Rabbeinu? Why Moshe Rabbeinu? Why is Noach Moshe Rabbeinu? Because the tikkun for Noah was to rebuke the people. Who was the ultimate rebuker? Gemara Masechet Megillah says Hashem Yitbarach cried when Moshe Rabbeinu died. And he said, why? Why is Hashem crying? Who else is going to rebuke my people like Moshe Rabbeinu? Who else is going to rebuke my He's the ultimate rebuker. Why? That's the tikkun. That's the tikkun. So you're only going to understand when I complete it. But if I showed you Noach at the time of Noach, he said, why did you even create him, Bechlal? The guy's not even doing a good job. <laughs> Understand? So Hashem Barach gives, gives, us, gives us some things, some tastes, some, some things to understand. But it's time for us to understand Hashem. Hashem says, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Don't try to understand all of me. It's not possible for you. It's not possible for you. You can just understand my desire. You can understand my desire. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, Yirat Hashem i'otzaro. The fear of the Almighty, fear of Hashem, that's his treasure. That's all he wants. That's all he has. You fear him, he has something. That's why he created the world, Gemara says. In this week's parasha, after the Sodom and Gomorrah debacle, we see the story continues in Avraham Avinu, 
travels to another city and he goes to the area of where Avimelech is. And the same thing that happened in last week's parasha happens again. They take Sarai Menu, Kodesh Kodeshim. They take Sarai Menu twice again. Last week we had Paro, took Sarai Menu. This week Avimelech took her. Why? She's Tzadikah. She's kosher. She's beautiful. We just learned she was modest. What could possibly be so wrong? Why is she suffering? Why is this happening to her? If you or you or me, it's like, oh, in your head. What am I doing? Why am I suffering? I'm modest. He wrote in the book. He wrote in the Torah. Hashem wrote in the Torah. She's modest. Hashem wrote in the Torah. She's tzaddikah. Hashem wrote in the Torah. She has bigger prophecy than Avraham Avinu. Why is she getting kidnapped? Why is she getting kidnapped? Why is she suffering? V'yomer Avimelech el Avraham, Maraita ki asita et adavar azeh. After Hashem Yitbarach comes to Avimelech and he says, I'm going to kill you because you have Sarai Menu, she's a married woman, I'm going to kill you. Avimelech says, I didn't know. He goes, I know you didn't know, that's why I didn't kill you yet. I know you didn't know, that's why I didn't kill you yet. So Avimelech comes after, you know, he says, okay, okay, what do I do? He goes, go give it back to Avraham and ask him to pray for you. Because he is a prophet. And he's the only one that can heal you. Praise to me, I'm going to heal you. Avimelech wakes up, tells everybody, tells Avraham Avinu. Vayomer Avimelech el Avraham, Maraita ki asita. Avimelech says to him, what did you see in us? He did such a thing to us. Why? What do we do to you so wrong? What did you see in us that was such a bad trait that you gave us such a big test? Why did you do this to us? is in such trouble. Tell us that your wife is really a sister. If you would have told us she's your wife, we would have left it, no? So what would you see? Avraham says, because I saw, what do you see? I saw there's no Yirat Shamaim here. There's no fear of God here in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. He says, this is a place... You don't believe in God. You don't have a fear. If you believe in God, you must fear Him. If you don't fear Him, you don't believe in Him. Forget about understanding Him. You don't even believe in Him. Because if you believed in Him, the first step after believing, first step in order to believe, you have to fear. So, here we see that one of the reasons that Hashem one of the reasons, could be a million and a half other reasons, why this whole thing happened, is to show us the value of Yirat Shamayim. The Gemara says, you're not allowed to be in a room alone with someone who doesn't have Yirat Shamayim. Why? We learn from Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu says, because you didn't have Yirat Shamayim, I was scared you're going to kill me. Meaning, anyone doesn't have Yirat Shamayim, you can't trust him, he may kill you. Why? doesn't make a difference. If he doesn't fear Hashem, that means he thinks he is Hashem. If he doesn't fear God, that means he thinks he is God. He's in control of his own destiny. You cannot trust him with your life. So then the ultimate test after you think, okay, they kidnapped his wife twice. They gave him all, jumped in fire, did this, did that. What's, the, what's enough, right? Then we see his Akedat Yitzchak. 
after he tells Avraham Avinu, I'm going to build a nation from you and everything's going to be fine. You're going to get the reward. Oh, by the way, your son, bring him to the mountain. Bring him to the mountain. Tomorrow, Masechet Shabbat, page 54 says, where do we learn? Where do we learn what the word Akedah means? Aked, La'akod. La'akod means we learn from Akedat Yitzchak, from Avraham Avinu. Because there's certain ways that you are allowed to tie a camel or a uh, horse or a um, uh, uh, elephant or any type of uh, Baal Chaim uh, on Shabbat in order to protect them from running away. You don't want them to run away. But you can't tie them up where they can't move because then they suffer. So there's a certain tie called Akedah. Akedah. So it says, what's Akedah, the Gemara asks. The Gemara says, Akedah, we learn from Akedah Yitzchak. It means tying the arms and the legs together. Meaning both. The arms and the legs are tied to each other. They can't move. Is that you're not allowed to do. Not allowed to tie it. So what do we learn from here? The way that Avraham Avinu tied Yitzchak was in a way that he tied him behind his back, the arms and the legs, so not only can't move, but his neck is sticking out. Now Yitzchak knows this is happening. It's not like he punched him in the face, he knocked him out, and he woke up this way. Yitzchak is telling him to tie tighter. Tie tighter, Abba. Maybe I'm going to overcome you and beat you up. Won't let you tie me up. So after this whole thing happens, whole thing happens. Hashem sends an angel, says to Avraham. You read this in Shachrit every day. Avraham, Avraham. He says, Avraham, Avraham. He says, here I am. Where are you going to be? <laughs> Meaning, I'm about to, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm with a knife. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Don't kill him. Don't touch him. Nothing. Do not do anything to him. Because after he told him, why say the same thing twice? He says, don't stretch out your arm against the lad. Don't do anything. Why twice? Why is he repeating? Because after he said, don't do it. So Avraham says, yeah, but you told me it's a mitzvah to do. I'm doing your will. So what if I just do a little cut? A little cut. I'm not going to kill him, but just a little cut. Something. He says, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Nothing. You proved your point. What's the point? Now I know you're a God-fearing man. Since you have not withheld your son from me, you're only one from me. So here, this is the ultimate test. This is the final test. This is test number 10. See, we, we finished the tikkun. All of the suffering, all of the craziness, all of that makes Avraham Avinu. Everything that happened till now was for this. Everything that happened for creation until this point was to establish a point. Why? First sign, first sign of wisdom is Yirat Hashem. Hashem Yitbarach says, Avram, now I know you have Yirat Shaman. Why, you didn't know the first nine tests? He says, no, now everybody else knows too. I knew already when you were born. Now everybody else knows. Why? 
every test they could explain with their rational mind, this could have been this way, this could have been that way, this, you could explain this this way, you could explain it, you, he did it because of this, he did it because of that, he did it because he's making money, he did it because he's famous, he did it because, you could explain everything else. You could explain everything else. You can't explain this. This doesn't make any sense. This goes against all logic. Now I know you fear me. Now I know you fear me. Now I know it's a, now I know it's a complete tshuva. Now I know it's a complete, it's a complete tikkun. Now you are Avraham Avinu. I'm going to build a nation from you. It follows up. I'm going to build a nation from you. It's going to be like the stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashores. Now you're Avraham Avinu. You're officially Avraham Avinu. Now no one can doubt you. Not the Goim, not the Jews, not the Kofrim. No one can doubt it. Now I know. Now, not Hashem. Now I know. Anyone that reads this, anyone that knows this, anyone knows you fear God. Why? It doesn't make any sense what you did. You've eliminated your free choice. You've submitted yourself to Hashem regardless of the fact that it makes no sense. And that's what Rashi says. What's the sign? What's the sign that you believe in God? When you start doing what He says, regardless of whether you understand it or not, you stop looking for explanations. Oh, I'm only going to do this if it makes sense. I'm going to keep Shabbat if it makes sense. I'm going to do Tefillin if it makes sense. Uh, no. If you're only doing the mitzvah because it makes sense, you still haven't reached level one of Yerat Shamayim. We'll finalize with this. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu told the same message that I'm trying to tell you. We're now at the end of days. We're now running out of time. Hashem is closing the store. Hashem is exposing all the Rishayim. It's time to do full tshuva. The chidush that I had today was the following. Hashem Barach gave Am Yisrael many, many chances to do this, to, 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 to do all the different things. Moshe Rabbeinu, before he died, he told him, "Bepicha u'bilvavcha la'asoto." Ramban says, "This is the mitzvah of tshuva." Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, "It's very easy to do tshuva. It's in your lips, in your heart, to do." Very, it's very natural for you to do tshuva. Why? It's the right thing to do. You are created to do it. Yes, you have an evil inclination. Yes, you have desires. But in reality, once you remove your need for understanding God, tshuva becomes much easier. But, know this. It has to be a complete tshuva. It has to be in your lips, the words that you say. And it has to be what's in your heart. If you're just paying lip service, but it's not in your heart, it won't work. If it's in your heart, but you're not doing anything about it, it doesn't work. What's the source? We learned from Sefer Yeshaya, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah says, mimeni. The book of Isaiah, chapter 19, verse 13. Hashem Itbar says to Yeshaya, he says to the prophet Isaiah, in their lips, in their mouth, they paid me lip service, they honored me, but their hearts were far from me. 
Hearts weren't far from me. We heard from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu has told us, why you do tshuva? Your lips and your heart. To do what's in your lips and your heart has to match. Don't just look religious. Be religious inside. Don't just be religious inside. Do something about it. Look religious too. It's time to make a choice. It's time to just go all in with Hashem. Regardless of whether you understand everything. In time you will. In time you will. But if you're going to wait to understand God, it will never happen. It will never happen. So here we say, Moshe Rabbeinu says, if your lips and your heart match, it's easy for you to It's easy for you to do. If your lips and your heart don't match, he says, Keep doing it. You pray honor to Hashem by saying, oh, I love Hashem. Whoever believes is never afraid. Hashem, we love you. You say all these different things about me, but really your heart is far from me. Far from me. You're no different than the Christian. You're no different than the atheist. You're no different than the Rashaim. You're no different than the Hollywoods. You're no different than all of them. Why? It's all worthless at the end. If you don't do what I say, it's all worthless. You may not define yourself as wicked, but in the eyes of Hashem, that's the definition. That's the definition. So, here, we have a Mishnah, that's the Mishnah of Mishnayot. We see that at a time of suffering, Rabbi Anai is telling us, don't look for explanations. Hashem doesn't owe you an explanation. Hashem does not owe you an explanation. Stop looking for explanations. Stop looking for them. It's not for him to explain to you. He doesn't owe you anything. He's God, remember. He's God, you're the creation. And that's why the Gemara says about in, uh, in Brachot, when Moshe Rabbeinu asked for an explanation, Hashem Barach says in Exodus 33, 19, I'll show mercy to whoever I feel like. Whatever I want to give mercy to, I'll give him mercy. I don't have to explain myself to you. I'm God. He says to Moshe Rabbeinu, the same Moshe Rabbeinu I told you that's such a nice relationship. He asked him questions. They chavuta. He says, hey, there's a line. I'm still God. I'm still God. I don't have to give you an explanation. I'll tell you why I do everything. Stop asking Hashem for explanations. Stop demanding Hashem to give you a Ben Zachar this year, people make these blessings. This year you're gonna have a baby. This year Hashem who are you to tell Hashem what to do? This year I'm gonna be a millionaire. This year I'm gonna do who are you to tell Hashem? Please Hashem, help me. Please. That doesn't work for you. So when we start understanding his nature, meaning his desires then we're starting to understand our purpose. Because we live in a purposeless world. A world that doesn't actually know why it's even there, Bechlal. It's a bunch of people living in this world just grinding water, doing nothing. Doing nothing all day. They live, they work, they make money, they eat, they drink, they get bored, they go to sleep, and the same thing over and over again. The benefit of learning Torah and living a Torah life is you're never ever bored because you're always busy doing the will of Hashem. If you have a moment in your day that you're bored, that means you're missing something. That means you're missing something. 
And that's why it says, Yifashfesh b'ma'asav. Check your, check your deeds because it may be bitul Torah. Why bitul Torah? If you're bored, you're not learning Torah. You're not learning enough Torah to occupy your mind at all times. Any questions? There is a gentleman that I've heard of uh, or heard in Masechet Megillah that refers to that he had a Tao as Yehudi. Yeah. And I've heard to say that according to that verse, anyone who renounced Avodah who wants to be, who takes upon himself what to do from the Torah, this person can be called Yehudi. <coughs> if this is true today, in one, somebody should convert. So the benefit of Batya is that Batya was not her real name. It was not her birth name. Who gave her that name? Who gave Batya the name Batya? What does Batya mean? Batya means Bat, daughter. Ya means Hashem, daughter of God. Who gave Batya the name Batya? God. God told Batya, you see your father Paro, that's the king of the world, full of idol worship, full of money, full of kavod, full of stuff, and you, instead of taking this and trying to be the next in command, you want to be one of the slaves, you want to be one of the Jews. So, Dishonoring all of Abu Dazra, dishonoring her father, dishonoring, putting our life on the line. So Hashem says, from now on, you're my daughter. Meaning, you have special protection. No one can touch you. She lived for hundreds of years. She didn't live a regular, normal life. It says your, your, um, your official birthday becomes today. Go to the water. Go to the Nile River and bathe. It's a mikveh. So, she goes to the mikveh. But as she goes to the mikveh, that's where she went to the water, she sees a little bin, a little bin with a crying baby in it. His name was Moshe Rabenu. That was her gift. That was her conversion gift. So the day she went and saw Moshe Rabenu was the day she became Batya. So if God spoke to you and he gave you a name and you got Moshe Rabenu, you don't have to convert. You don't have to go to a Batya. But um, if you didn't, then you have to follow what Hashem says after that. And what Hashem says after that is that He gave Moshe Rabbeinu the Torah in Mount Sinai. He gave him the Ren Torah, the Oral Torah, and the Ten Commandments. And the Ren Torah, He says, there's a mitzvah to have converts. To this 36 different times He talks about the merits of converts, the, um, the uh, uh, special protections they get. And then the Oral Torah explains how to be a convert. And how do you be a convert? You have to go in front of three Jews that are kosher Jews that know the law and you have to renounce idolatry, you have to accept all of the mitzvot, you have to have a circumcision if you're a man and dip in the mikveh and it's supervised by those people and they say it's kosher and that's it. That's what Hashem said. So you have two ways. One way Talk to God, He gives you a name, you go to the Nile River, and He gives you a sign that this is really happening, and it's not just ecstasy or cocaine that you took last night. So He gives you Moshe Rabbeinu, that's one way. Option two is you go to a Bedin. 
So that's that's the thing. So in reality, Betin is the way. So anyone that says otherwise, on them it is written that they are kufrim, they are heretics, they are people that we stay away from. As a matter of fact, in Igmarah it talks about tefillin. It says tefillin. How does tefillin look like? It says tefillin are black and square. And make sure they're not round. Okay, but you said square. If you say square, then obviously it's not round. Sigma asks, why are you saying make sure it's square and not round? Why don't you say square? If it's square, it's obviously not round. No, make sure it's not round because round is the way of the heretics. Round is the way of the heretics. What's the heretics? Heretics are the ones that don't want to follow the oral Torah, the Karaites, the Sadducees. Sadducees. Those people, those people, they don't want to listen to the oral Torah, so they just meet Tfilin. How? However they want. It's round, it's pink, it's whatever they want. So someone that makes laws, he converts his own way, no beti, no this, no that, he doesn't really want to follow the way of God. He doesn't want to follow the way of Rosh Barach. He wants to follow his own way. And for people like that, there's also a certain chamber in Gainom for two. There's room for them. There's room for them. Well, that's the mitzvah. That is the commonality between the convert and the natural-born Jew. <clears throat> Meaning, that's the common uh, issue between all of mankind. In order for mankind to succeed in their life, they have to submit to Hashem. That's in essence this entire shiur. That's in essence the entire commentary. That's in essence the entire Torah. The entire Torah says something extraordinary. Something extraordinary that the Chachamim explained in a way that we can understand. Because <clears throat> we always try to rationalize things. And unfortunately, <clears throat> it's very hard for my rationale to match yours. So the Chachamim were able to explain the complex issues in a very simple way. So Rabbi Simcha Mikelim says, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? Purpose of life is to do tshuva. To do tshuva, to repent. Now, what's tshuva? Okay, tshuva. What, is, what does tshuva mean? What does tshuva mean? You start wearing a hat. Tshuva mean you grow a beard. What if you're a woman? You can't grow a beard. Does tshuva mean you wear a long dress? What if you uh, only have uh, pants? You can't do tshuva. If you're a guy, you have to wear a dress also. Is it only exteriors that you have to pray? What if you pray, but you pray to J.C. Penny? What if you read Torah, but you also read New Testament? So what's tshuva? Tshuva, <clears throat> common tshuva to everyone. Obviously there's specific details within it, but tshuva to everyone is to accept Hashem as the king of the world. That's tshuva. To accept Hashem as king of the world. Now, Rabbi Simcha Mikhailim says, there's nothing stupider than someone accepting Hashem as the king of the world except themselves. There's nothing stupider. Meaning, when you do a blessing, as a Jew, you say, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech 
Shakonim Midvoa. Bless you, Hashem, the king of the world, that everything is your creation. That's what he says. <clears throat> and all of the blessings are, bless you, Hashem, king of the world, that's the blessings, all of the blessings in Judaism, that's the blessing. Bless you, Hashem, king of the world, king of the world, king of the world. So Rabbi Simcha Mikhailim says, there's nothing stupider than somebody, nothing, somebody saying, king of the world, except me. Meaning, the law of the Torah that Hashem wrote applies to everyone else except me. They have to watch their brit milah. They have to read Torah. They have to watch their eyes. They have to be modest. They have to be generous. They have to. Not me. So, when someone says, I believe in Hashem, but not the Chachamim that represent Him, no one, there's no one that's a bigger fool than that. Because Hashem specifically says, my chachamim are the representation of me. They're, they're the living Torah. They're the living Torah. So, when someone wants to truly do tshuva, they have to remove their ego. If you have an ego, you haven't even started real tshuva. You started tshuva, but not real tshuva. You started something, but you have ego. You're still in the infancy stages. You're still an embryo. Just past forty days. Just past. You just got your life. You still have an ego, and ego is very, very difficult to get rid of because it's mamash become part of you. Just like my voice used to be a part of me before the shiur. <laughs> <laughs> So, the thing is, though, is that <clears throat> you have a situation here where Rashi explains it, is that in order for you to do the will of Hashem, in order for you to do this tshuva, whether you're righteous Noahide, or you're trying to convert to Judaism, or you're a Jew trying to be <coughs> a righteous Jew, first thing first, remove this ego and start... Doing what Hashem says, with or without your understanding. Someone says, keep Shabbat. Right, in the Torah, keep Shabbat, keep Shabbat. doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Just keep kosher, keep kosher. Be modest, be modest. Whatever it says, do it. Whatever you know it says, do it. Why? That's Yerat Shemayim. Submitting to a creator, submitting to a higher power. As long as you're fighting him, you think you're equal to him. And that's the problem. That is the biggest problem that people have and the root cause, the root cause of people destroying their life is being kalodat, being light-minded, being like everything, they don't take it so seriously. Ah, you relax, you're taking it too seriously, come on, Shabbat, relax, come on, stakar, relax. What? Come on, everybody's going to go to Gainom except you. Everybody's going to Gainom except you. You're the only one. Like They make it seem like you created Gainom. And people have this light-minded type of uh, personality and they don't take life seriously. And that's why it's very easy for people to sin. It's very easy for people to be immodest. Two seconds, they take off their shirt. Two seconds, they are promiscuous with someone that they don't think met an hour ago. 
Two seconds. They don't take their life so seriously. People don't take things seriously. Two seconds, they cheat on their wife. Why? Ah, I got drunk. Ah, you know what happens, you get drunk. People rationalize their sins. Ah, you know what happens, you get drunk. Ah, you know what happens, I got upset at her. Ah, you know, it happens. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, yeah. it's okay, it's okay. What's the big deal? What's the... Everybody takes life so lightly. They abandon their kids. Ah, you know, come on. They're bad kids. He's nine years old, you abandon them? Just tell them not to do it. They borrow money without even knowing how they're going to pay it back. Yeah, but you owe the money now. Ah, just declare bankruptcy. What do you mean? But the guy lent you half a million dollars. Okay, so I don't have to pay him. Why? Because I'll declare bankruptcy. I'm like, yeah, but he's still out a half a million dollars. What kind of irresponsible person are you? You borrowed a half a million dollars from another person and you're not going to pay it back? Just because the system allows you to cheat it? That's it? So people are very, very careless, very selfish, very into their own desires, not their own life, but their own desires. They can't see past the wall in front of them. They can't see past their own desires. And that's kaludat. That's being just light-minded and just completely, the whole world can explode and they wouldn't care less. That's what breeds heresy. That's what breeds atheism. That's what breeds the kfirah that runs this world, unfortunately. And that's what destroys people's life in a second. In one second, a person can almost destroy their olamba. I heard a horrible story. guy that supposedly is a rabbi. Not just a rabbi. A rabbi that has a yeshiva. Mm. A lot of people. Tons and tons. Hundreds and hundreds of students. He comes to my rabbi. And he needs help. Why does he need help? He needs some guidance. Why does he need some guidance? He made a sin. What kind of sin did he make? He went with a married woman. Rabbi, Kila, hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, of students, he's a rabbi, he's big. How could this be? How could this be? He says, ah, you know, one time I asked her to, she asked me to come over to help with something, and the husband wasn't there, and I didn't follow the Chachamim. The Chachamim says, you're not allowed to be with a, another woman that's not your wife in a closed area. And listen to the Chachamim, next thing you know, she was really upset about her husband. Next thing you know, I was comforting her. Next thing you know, Rabbi! You got to remove your ego. You got to listen to the Chachamim. You don't listen to the Chachamim. You haven't started Tshuva. You haven't started Tshuva. So that's the thing, guys. Bezat Hashem. We will start our Tshuva. Without the shame, we'll continue our tshuva. Get Am Yisrael to do a lot of tshuva because we need it. We need it. It's time for us to do tshuva. It's time for us to pick a side. It's time for us to amash. Go with Hashem 150%. No questions asked. You understand, don't understand? Keep learning. Keep learning. Keep learning. Keep learning. Keep learning. Hashem, you'll have the siyat nishmaya. Hashem will show you the reason. But you do it before He shows you. You do it before He shows you. Stop taking Hashem lightly. Start taking your life seriously. Stop making uh, making not a big deal of everything. Everything's a big deal. Because you don't know what's going to be the determining factor in Shemaim. Everything's a big deal. Start taking life seriously. And Bezat and Shem will succeed. The CDs, like I told you guys, the Chafetz uh, Chaim series uh, by my dear friend, Rabbi Dami, 
You have to listen to it. It's really good stuff. You can listen to it online. You can listen to it in our WhatsApp groups. Be'ezad Hashem, we'll all be matzlichim. We'll see a lot of Torah in the world. More Torah brings more purity to the world, brings more tshuva to the world. Be'ezad Hashem, more merit for the rest of us to see Mashiach. Be'ezad Hashem. Amen. Amen.